ran the joint. Like he had drugs coming in now. I remember him coming up to me one day. And he's like, hold this for me. So whatever you do, don't open it. I opened it. I went up to Bobo. Now nobody challenged this guy. So I went up to Bobo and I said, like, I can't hold this for you. And then he's like, why not? And then I said, because I opened it. I saw what's in there. And I don't want to get caught up with that. I'm trying to change my life. Because one thing I quickly learned was nobody messes with the barber. Eat get on this pepper. Gotta eat. Yeah. Gotta eat. Gotta get bigger. That was the issue. I wasn't having protein. But all right, let's do the intro. So, all right, one in ah, uh, oh, geez, this is a big number. So, one in 120 men in America are in prison right now, and very few people, unfortunately, become a success story after going through such an event. Our next guest is one of those few inspiring stories who have had a complete turnaround. And after getting out of prison, he started a barber shop, Booms Barber Shop. And he lives the wildlife now. I've seen your Instagram, bro. <laughs> and if you follow him on social media, you will see how much of an out there boy he is doing things that uh, look like a lot of fun that I don't want to go too deep into. We'll go later. And right now, the really cool thing about what Boom is doing is he's helping other people turn their lives around as well. So please welcome Boom, aka Boom's World. Hey, hey, what up, what up? Yeah, so... Yeah, I had a little bit of a stalk and it was like, was good. you're was a very good. entertaining person. <laughs> good, I like hearing it. I was like smiling. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so your backstory, I don't know too much about it, but I'd love to find out like what was what was the your childhood slash adolescence that, what was that like that led you up to obviously the, the pinnacle breaking point of your, your life, which was going to prison and then turning everything around? It's crazy because- we come from a very Christian background. So my mother, she was a single mother, three kids, my brother, my sister, myself, me being the youngest. And she married a Cuban dude. Like, like we came from Puerto Rico at a very young age. Anyway, she ends up meeting this uh, this Cuban guy, like pen palling through prison. You know, he was in prison. <laughs> so so I don't know if you heard of Mariel. And Mariel was when Fidel Castro opened the, the harbor and let like everybody out of Cuba, whoever wanted to leave. And it was mostly a lot of bad people. There's some good people there, but there's some bad people. And he was one of those people, you know, and um, he was a bad influence, needless to say. He, he he was the closest thing to a father figure I had. My father used to pick us up on the weekends, one day, two days, you know, that sort of thing. But this guy, we were living with him, you know, from the age of seven until I was a teenager. So at 11 years old, my father picks us up one weekend. He says, um, you can all pick one thing out out of the store. Like Walmart was, wasn't a super center. It was a smaller Walmart back then. My brother, you know, he's athletic, big guy, brolic shoulders, you know, full beard. Like they really took their time when they made him, you know, they had a romance <laughs> movie, movie showing R and B candles, champagne, all of that. They get them all the good stuff. Me, I must've been a quickie and my mom was a Chevette. In the back seat. <laughs> I'm 5'10", 170 pounds. This guy was brolic. You know, he's always the, the guy that everybody looked at. Uh, so he picks up a football. My sister, she picked up a VHS. There wasn't CDs back then or DVDs. And for whatever reason, I picked up a pair of Clippers. I wanted to mimic some of the styles that uh, were on TV and stuff like that. I got tired of my mom cutting our hair. And I still got a picture of my mom cutting her hair. Needless to say, that led to me wanting to pursue barbering. I just loved it. I love creating something. I love changing somebody's look. I love their expression on their face when they looked in the mirror. By the time I was 15... I was skipping school and and just cutting like my friends and homies and stuff like that on the back porch for like five bucks. So I was like, oh, okay, I got a little money. But I was dibbing and dabbing in the streets too at the same time. 
So by 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 that time, I was like 15, 16, ended up homeless, living out of a trash bag, like straight up. Like I was heating up my like my chef bar over a candle like, yeah, to wow. heat up food because just problems at home. I was bumping heads with my mom. I had the chip on my shoulder. Um, she she had moved by then. I didn't want to move with her. We just had a lot of problems, a lot of problems internally, and it was just it was just a madhouse. And I I just ran away, and I was just like, but I was figuring it out and having nothing, to, you know, pot the piss in. So I started hustling or whatever, started getting my money up, started you know uh, jumping from house to house, and ended up back with my brother, and he had his own place by then. And I was like, I don't want to live at home, man. This shit's crazy. And there's a lot of violence. Cuban dude wasn't good, man. No 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 bueno. You know, uh, showed us a lot of things that you shouldn't see as a child growing up and uh but you know he he definitely had a hustle to him so and he taught us that as well so by the time i was 19 i wanted to go to hair school and then it was a hair school in my area and it's not there's no it's no longer there but i was like paying off the lady to ch- clock me in and clock me out I, I, it was one of the instructors needless to say that this new lady bought the school because the old lady had died and then the she caught the lady the whole thing that me and the lady had going on the other lady and she called me into the office one day and she was like, I know what you're doing and I'm here to tell you it's not going to work no more. We're stripping you of all your hours. So something that would normally took me one year took me three years to do. So she got me ready, though. I hated her back then. I appreciate her now. And she got me ready for my state boards. But right before I got cleared uh, to take my, my test, I ended up incarcerated because I was living a, a double life. I was going to school, selling drugs. I wasn't even going to school. The other lady was clocking me in. But by that time, <laughs> you know, I had to go back to school with this new lady. But I was selling dope, you know, on the street, hustling. Like, it went from selling, like, little baggies to, like, selling kilos. Like, I was yeah. really out there. And I was wilding out. I was, I was. I looked totally different back then. I had long hair, braided, like, gold teeth, like riding around. Like, I thought I was, you know, Scarface. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like 3.0, you know, yeah. on the next level. Uh, at 23, I ended up incarcerated. I went to Miami to go do a drug transaction, um, and it was a setup. It was working with the it was working with the feds. It was undercover, you know what I mean? Well, the feds and the state were, were, were working together to build a case up on us, me and my friend. So I end up in, in prison at 23, and I'm like, shit. Wow, 23, you know? huh? I was young. Shit. I was young. I was young, dumb, and scared. I was scared because it was my first time in prison. I had been in and out of jail on little little drug charges and stuff like that uh, through my childhood. But at 23, just a kid, like looking back um, at, at some kids now, you know, in, in different programs that I've been to and institutions, and I look at a little kid that's 23, and I just I feel bad because I'm like, just a kid, you're still trying to figure out life. I don't give a damn what the law says. If you're 18, you're an adult, 21, you can drink. At 23, you're green. You're green to the world. You're green to everything, especially when you're uneducated. And you, th- but you think you're. Ahead oh, you in think life. you're the shit. You yeah. think because you're so street smart that you got it all figured out. But there's, there's, there's different levels of smart. And when you're uneducated and you come from that life, um, it's very scary because you're like, what, what's next? And now you're in the in, in the cages with some real gangsters, with some real killers, with some real dudes that that that, that are really on that, that have lived their whole life in prison. You're looking around and you got a sense of fear. Anybody that, that's that's a young guy that goes in, in for the first time in prison and says, I wasn't scared in some type of way, you're full of shit. When your lady wants to throw down, does your doodle look like a macaroni noodle? Are you letting her down because you can't get it up? Then you might be low in testosterone. And the good thing is there is a solution for that. You will be able to smash box like no other in a mere short amount of time. But not too short, hopefully. It's uh, you will be able to throw down and give her a quality, quality seven or eight minutes. 
Hopefully there's no guarantee on that. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is we do have an ADAM test, which stands for the Androgen Deficiency in Aging Men. A lot of fancy words just to say, do you have low testosterone? Now, the cool thing is this is free. It's online. It takes less than 60 seconds. Very similar to my sex life but also has an up to 88% accuracy rating with detecting whether or not you are low in testosterone. So to do the Adam test, all you got to do is go to bit.ly forward slash free Adam test. That is bit.ly forward slash free Adam test. Now, if you don't want to remember that link, you don't have to. The link will be in the description for you to press and then go straight to it. So remember, Adam test, free, less than 60 seconds. So let's get you guys back being great and uh, making our women come again. Mm. You know, you, you had some fear, like the, the what if is there, you know, and I looked around and I realized I was like, shit, this is just like the walking dead. People are just walking around, just wasting time. No time is being invested doing anything that's gonna, you know, help them. So I thought, they, they, you know, and I started looking at things from a different perspective and I said, well, this isn't a waste of time. It's actually investing time. This is college for me. This is me learning now. This is me going back to reading, me educating myself. And that's what I did. I started educating myself. And barbering really saved my life in there because one thing I quickly learned was nobody messes with the barber. You know, they want a fresh mm -hmm. haircut to see their little, <laughs> little booth thing on the weekend. They come visit them. They want a fresh haircut. And I started taking care of some important people in there to make sure I was good and uh, built some good um, friendships, you know, and bonds with these guys. And some of these guys had been in there like their whole life, 20, 30, 40 years. And it was like this one guy I was, was friends with and he used to kind of like run the place. He, was, he had been in there since 1980. That's two years before I was even born. Yeah. And that was like mind boggling to me. But I knew I was like, I want to do something different, man. I don't want to, I don't want to be here with these guys, you know? Yeah. And, and I opened up a shop uh, shortly after my release, two years after. And Things started to unravel after that. Before, so before we go deeper into that, um, back to the the Cuban, yeah. uh, was it step, stepdad? Stepdad, yeah. yeah. Um, what about like how involved was he with your life that gave you that influence? Like, was there things that he was doing or like uh, influencing that sort of made you think this is the way to do it or this is a cool way to do life? Like, what was his influence on your? Well, when you when you when you're seven years old. And you, the, the the man of the house is the guy that you tend to look up to. Mm -hmm. you know, he's the guy that I'm waking up to every day. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at the way he moves. I'm looking at the way he does things. I'm looking at the way he talks, the way he moves. And he used to actually cut some of his friend's hair. I guess it's a trade that he picked up when um, when he was in prison. So he used to, I used to see him doing that. I saw the tattoos on him. I saw the jewelry. You know, this guy used to wear like you know, five, six chains back then, you know, and, and like the little earring with the cross and the, you know, the, what was in style back then. But you, you look at all that and then you saw, I saw him hustle. I saw him build himself back up when he got out of prison. I saw him, like we were the only kids in the hood with, with like a Porsche, we were in government, <laughs> government housing, he has a Porsche <laughs> parked in the front yard, you know what I mean? So Quickest giveaway right. that someone's maybe doing something <laughs> right. illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at the house to car disparity yeah. and it's a giveaway. <laughs> right. And I'm looking at the Porsche and I'm looking at the Corvettes and I'm like, shit, I don't know what he's doing, but he must be doing something good. So I like his drive and his hustle. And he was still doing stuff that was like illegal after being out of prison? Oh, 100%. He, he never yeah. stopped. So he didn't really give you like any sort of 
life advice of like you don't want to be in the pen. Nah, nah. His life advice was like hustle smarter. Hustle smarter, right? <laughs> Get a woman, a nice looking woman, you know, and and and, and make money. Yeah, and, and, and you hustle, and you you know, but the womanizing that that even like I picked up from him. My father was a man that is a man that uh, married my mother. Uh, they got a divorce and has been with the second woman his whole life. He's only been with two women. I've never saw my father even mm -hmm. pick up a beer. You know, he's a guy that's very old school, wakes up at four in the morning, wakes the rooster up, you know, still drinks a cup of milk with his dinner, like very old school. So this guy was like, you know, banging the the, 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 the lady that would live <laughs> two streets down, you know what I mean, behind my mom's yeah. back. You know? And so did, um, after your father and mother got divorced, did you have much of your father in your life to see that? Yes and no. Like my dad wasn't the best and still isn't the best example of, of a father. He's a good man. If you literally look at his life, he lives a very clean life, but he's, he sucks as a father. Like a father has a relationship with their kids. They look for their kids. They look for the grandkids. My mm -hmm. dad doesn't do that. You know, my dad's to himself, distance himself from everybody. He used to pick us up on the weekend. It was a shitty weekend. He used to put us in front of the TV, like watch this. And I'll drop you off when it's time to drop you off. That's not being a father. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd imagine uh, that seeing your stepdad's life would be kind of exciting. And, like, you know, there's always something new happening, even though it's drama. Yeah. Versus a kind of a boring other option. It's just he, he showed he showed me what I thought was, was to be a man. A man protects his family. A man goes out there and hunts. You know, he, would, he showed us how to fish with, like, a... a a rope and a Coca-Cola bottle, just like that, mm -hmm. and go fishing out there and actually catch fish like that. It was a weird technique. I saw that, I learned that it from unique. him. <laughs> he, he just shot me, he just taught me a whole lot, you know? So I remember one time we had just come home from church because he, he still used to make sure he went to church. Hmm. And we were in an old station wagon. It was, it was like those old, long Oldsmobile station wagon. It was brown with the wood panels the on the wood, side. The wood panels. Uh, <laughs> the ugliest shit ever. <laughs> Here's one. Yeah. So now they're cool. Don't worry. Yeah, just ahead that, of his time. Now they're classic. <laughs> so we were, we were there. I'm a little kid at this time. I, you know, we're kids. We're sitting in the back seat. And there was a bunch of rednecks in the, in the front of the road. You know, and they wouldn't move, you know, and my and he's blowing the horn. Like, he's, we're trying to just to get home. This is after church. So he still has his button up on, his slacks. And it was like nighttime already. We was like probably like a Wednesday night church group, right? So he's blowing the horn. He's like, get out the way, get out the way. And they're like, you know, hell no, nah, we're not getting out the way. You're going to wait for us. They're flicking them off. And I never seen, that's when that first time I seen the, the light switch change on him. Mm -hmm. When I've seen him use that aggression towards somebody else. He jumps out the car, go very, very like, he was he was hot, you know. He, was, he, did, he did it real impulsive, but he was real calm about it. And he goes to the back, pops the trunk, and goes in his tackle box, pulls out this knife that's used for oh, fish. Shit. And he goes and confronts all of them. And he goes and he just starts cursing. He's like, "You you guys are gonna move. You're gonna move, or I'm gonna stab every one of you in here." And he's short. He's not. He wasn't that tall. He was about five seven, five six, something like that. He wasn't a big guy. <laughs> like a Jeff. <laughs> the Jeff. <laughs> this has nothing to do with you, Jeff. Shit. You know, but. <laughs> <laughs> like the the balls on him though he was a ballsy yeah. guy and I got never a lot of comment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember all those guys and these guys were like six feet up and all of them just cleared out and yeah. I don't think it was so much that they were scared to get stabbed I just saw that I think they saw somebody that wasn't well, scared they didn't give a yeah you don't mess around and find out yeah, yeah. How exactly did, how did you feel I mean how old were you at the time again oh uh, I was probably about at that time I was probably about eight or nine. 
And so, do you remember how you felt seeing him do that? Yeah, you yeah. think he was cool? Or yeah, 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 I thought it was cool as shit. I thought he was my hero. I said, like, hell yeah, that's how you do it. Because remember, <laughs> at that time, before him, my mom wouldn't let us watch, you know, badge programs or shows on TV. You know what I mean? So when he came in the picture, we were watching Scarface. We were watching Godfather. You know, I walked in on him uh, watching uh, porn late night when everybody's supposed to be asleep. What porn? You know, like, the, I don't know, the movie. <laughs> do right you remember it? Uh-huh. <laughs> but you remember those those old cable boxes and used to, there used to, used to be like two little screws in there like the gray ones and you used to move them around. So he was scrambling to get porn. Huh? Scrambling to get porn and I was <laughs> like and I used to be over there watching and, and that's not oh, something a that a kid is supposed to see, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was like. But I remember him looking over and seeing me catching him watching it, and then he would he just turned his head. He and wasn't just kept rubbing one out, was he? No, he wasn't rubbing one out. He was just he was just stuck there, infatuated. But then he just looks at me, catches me, look like coming through the corner and doesn't say anything just keeps watching it almost like if you want to watch just watch but i'm watching it i'm not didn't give a fuck basically he didn't care at all so when i saw him handle those Mm -hmm. guys like that i was like this guy's my hero this is how you do it yeah this is how you you get guys not to mess with you you know so it, it, it was messed up looking back at it now but at that moment there was nobody greater than him even my dad it was like my dad used to tell me, like, if some you get in a situation with somebody, just walk away or tell. Yeah. This guy used to tell, if you guys get into any fights and you don't hit first or you get beat up, I'm going to beat your ass when you get home. Interesting. So he promoted violence in a way. Oh, too. 100%. Him and my mom, like, getting into physical altercations, him hitting my mom, choking her out. Oh, like, shit. I saw all of that. All of that crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, like, in-between situation, huh? Like, you don't want to just walk away in some occasions, but you don't want to swing first right. as well. So, right. Yeah. And so how long along the line until you started getting mixed up with the illegal activities? I was a teenager. I was already, um, you know, it was, it was right after or during, during middle school, I was kind of like dibbing and dabbing and that sort of deal. And then by high school, I was, I was all in, but then by the time, by senior, by sophomore year, I already dropped out. I said, the school ain't for me. It's not going to make me no money. You're mm-hmm. talking about the same crap over and over. It's not doing anything. Food sucks. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> when am I going to use algebra? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I still do it. You know? I used it yesterday just so you guys know. I'm not even joking. Stop. I haven't used joke. algebra forever. I'm not even joking. So, you, you know, getting up early. the weight of a kilo and how much it costs. No, that's when I started using it. I, I used it to calculate that one in 20 men in um, prison. I was ah, like, all right, see? if zero point eight three percent, so his ratio is definitely this, wrong. I did like, <laughs> I did like, literally sold for X, and yeah. I was like, all right, one in one twenty. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, just I ask wouldn't have figured that out. <laughs> I would have googled it. Just ask ChatGPT; yeah. it'll tell you now. My mind fresh, guys. I'm <laughs> keeping young here. <laughs> oh, nugget. Yeah, but um, so yeah, so you started getting mixed up with uh, bad bad crews. Um, was there any memory that you had of like some example where even in a teenage before you got locked up? Was there any moment where you're like, this is fucking dumb, I need to stop doing this? Or was it just always blindly like, nah, this is how life is? Nah, I was just like, this is the way life is. It was on some real, like, this is it. Like, mm. you either, you either, you either. And whereabouts did you grow up, sorry? Where's that? Whereabouts did you grow up? I, look, I grew up everywhere. I, I, East Fort Myers was the first place that we came to from Puerto Rico. So if, if, I, if I always refer to that and say, um, this is a young Puerto Rican kid from East Fort Myers because that was our stomping ground. And we lived there for a while. We hopped around to different like little pieces of East Fort Myers. And it was it was it was cool back then. It was it was it was a different East Fort Myers than you get now. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans back then, a big uh, Puerto Rican community. 
now it's it's turned. There's not a lot of Puerto Ricans over there. It's like little Mexico over there, which is cool. <laughs> they got the good taco trucks, you know. <laughs> um, but it was very different than the Palm Beach you see now. Just you know mm-hmm. the way everybody interacted, played, and stuff. So then from there we went to North Fort Myers. We lived in Miami for a while, came back, that sort of thing. So we just kind of bounced around. Went to school in Miami for a little bit. Miami was fun. Yeah, Miami was fun. We lived there. Obviously, he's Cuban. He had he had family over there, so we moved over there. Um, and I was working out of, I was young, I was probably like 10 and I was working in a, in a bakery, like his, it was like a Cuban cafe mm-hmm. and they used to sell like Cuban breads and coffees and stuff like that. So I used to be the bread boy. I was out there and then I would walk, um, old ladies to the, to their, um, car with, you know, and they made me like 50 cents for the helping with the groceries. Yeah. So the joke was it was a Puerto Rican making Cuban bread, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so. Okay. And so, yeah, so you didn't really ever th- ever think this is not normal. Like, you just thought that whole going down the, the criminal route, slinging drugs was just a normal way that you run life? Yeah, because I saw him normal. I didn't see him as a monster. And, like, you look back at it now, it's abnormal as hell. Like, it's like, shit, I was doing that. But back then it was normal. And mm. every, he would, you know, eat with us. He would go to take us to church, you know, but he was living that other life. So it was it was normal to us. Mm. You know? Is your mom still married to this guy? No, no, no. She left him when I was uh, about fourteen. Remember, he was he got caught banging the the the, oh, okay. the the lady like two streets down, and then uh, that's that, pretty was, confident was that, move. Was that yeah. the breaking like, point? I'm just in the neighborhood. Huh? Was that the breaking? Oh point? yeah, that was definitely. My mom showed up at that lady doorstep. I can imagine. Hell, banging on there. He's a married man. Blah, blah, blah. She went off on him. It was a big thing. It was big. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because you said, I mean, fourteen, you were living out of home. Was there any sort of like? Was there a a falling out because you idolized him and she'd kicked him out and was there a little bit of that no not, not not at that at, at that point i was just disappointed with every male figure in my life you know i felt like yeah. damn like you know i kind of blamed her in a way like what did you do to push my dad away and now you're pushing him away so what he's with another lady like <clears throat> just get over it work it out that yeah. was my thing it was like he cheated so what you know and then, uh, then she, by that time, my brother was on his way out because he couldn't deal with my mother's temper. Like, this guy had really changed her. This was a nice woman when we were really young. When he got with her, she was just so hurt by everything. Hurt people hurt people. So it was yeah. a lot more yelling out of her. It was a lot more aggression out of her. He had really changed my mom into a different person. And nobody wanted to be around her no more. You know. Yeah. And my brother, he was on his way out. So now you're pushing my brother out. Now I'm mad because I'm really mad now because my brother's about, you know, almost four or five years older than me. And him, my brother is somebody I really admired. And now you're pushing him out. So then at 14, I ended up going to jail. We got into a situation, me and my mother. And she actually calls the police on me. And then I was like, you know, I was telling the police, F you, take me to jail. You know what I mean? But remember, I was already corrupted by this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Cubans like, the Cuban always told me, you don't talk to the police, the police are bad. And like, police should get behind yeah. us and we'd be turning around, don't turn around, don't look. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm just looking. Like, we're not doing nothing wrong. I didn't know why he's telling me don't look, mm. you know? Um, but in my eyes, by 14, the police are bad. You don't talk to them. They came to my house and yeah. I send them all to hell, take me to jail now. So then, and was this after your stepdad was had been kicked out? Yeah, that was yeah. that was. Oh, this is all so happening at the no same time. She had no one really to protect herself, so she, that was like her last resort in right. a way. Right. But at fourteen, you wouldn't understand that. It's right. just like you said, you're seeing everyone being pushed away, and she's the common denominator. Correct. Therefore, it must be her fault. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
So once you went into into prison at 14, how was it just a short sentence or was it like a couple of nights? Yeah, that situation? was just juvie. You got to do 21 days in juvie. And I remember them coming to get me and they sat down with me and her. And then they're like, you can go home early now. You just got to like whatever. And I was like, take me back to the cell. I don't want to deal with her. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I was like, take me back. I'll do my other yeah. eight days. I'll do my other eight days here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was like tough shit, you know what I mean? So I'm like, hell no, I don't want to go with her. She's the problem. And so now, you know, this is between 14, 15. So then, remember, by 15, I, I was already gone. That was yeah. just like the starting point of going to jail and in and out. And, just and your mom's going. cool now? Yeah, we're, we're, we're good now. Like, my mom, I love my mother to death. I know that it wasn't her fault. Um, yeah, she, you realize that shit later on. Like, yeah, right, like, you know? I'm, I'm older now. She's older. You know, sometimes I still got to put on ice because she's, she's still, you know. crazy. She's still oh, my mom's crazy. Yeah. yeah. She's, poor, she's a Puerto Rican mom, man. She's still <laughs> passionate. No, nah, she'll still spank you, grown and all. She'll <laughs> really? still like throw a sandal at Fuck you. I'll pay yeah. to see you get a Yeah, she'll still spank <laughs> like, you. Her spanking is not like putting it over your knee. Her spanking is like using an object or something. She's going to come at you with she a gets broom. She's creative, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, she gets real creative. She's Puerto Rican, man. It's yeah. normal. It's normal over there, you know? But. Yeah, coming from Australia, I had like had no, obviously, no interaction with the Puerto Ricans. But all I heard was like Puerto Rican women. You need to learn boxing. Yeah, <laughs> defense. You know, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. No, but she's she's good now. She's in a happy space. She remarried afterwards and got with a an Italian guy, um, mm. and so she's been married she's three European. times. Yeah, she went European. He was actually a, a really good guy, and yeah. uh, I miss him a lot. He he passed away about four years ago, right when I was opening up one of my businesses, and this guy was he treated her like a queen. Mm. You know, he really treated her like a queen, but. There was still a lot of fighting and stuff like that just because she was so hurt and she had trust issues. And she she was so, I, I don't want to say damaged, but I, it's the only it's word I can really. It's muscle. Like, yeah, her defense. dad had let her down. Her her first marriage let her down. Her second marriage mm -hmm. let her down. And I'm not saying she's perfect, but by the time she was with, with the, the Italian guy, with Tony, he, he things were real. Tony the Italian. Tony the Italian. Yeah. Bro, he was hardcore Italian too. Every Italian is Tony. At yeah, the gym sure. that I used to work at, I know 17 Tonys and they're all Italians. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It was Tony, Antonio. You know, yeah, Anthony. Antonio, Antonio. Yeah, we not Tony, Tony. Anthony. Anthony. Yeah, and Anthony. There was plenty of Anthonys. I was Anthony. like, all right, you guys, you just sort of, yeah. you know, your Tony's in hiding. Yeah. But um, so, so once you, like, when you were living like in a trash bag, you said, and all that, um, what led you down? Like how how deep did you really get until it was you got your being snagged by the feds? Um, I was I was shit. I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And by that time, I was remember I was living from from jumping from house to house and dip, living with different people and then living with my brother for a little bit. Like I said, he he had his own place. But and you were cutting hair uh, this time too. Yeah, I'm you. cutting hair. But when I was like 15, 16, about six, about 16, there was a there was a place that actually is right next door to where my barbershop is now, and it's called it was called R Sport. And I used to go back there, and, and my brother used to work there doing like window tinting. And I used to go to cut everybody's hair. That and you know back then it was it was a thing. You know, you mm. go over there, you sit on a bucket, I cut you up, and then I keep it pushing. And I made me a couple of dollars with that money. I would go buy some weed. I would flip the weed, and then I started yeah. getting into cocaine, and then selling the cocaine. I never used uh, cocaine. I never been a cocaine user, but I sold the shit out of it. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, so what was the purpose of still doing the hair cutting and the barber work 
while you're still making the money from the other stuff that clearly like makes a, passion, a lot more right? money. It's a passion, absolutely. 100%. It wasn't like a networking thing. It was, it, like it was cool. You meet people, you talk to people. It, you know, I met so many cool people, even, you know, AJ and, and, and you know, you cut, cutting hair. That's how we met. Yeah. That's how we met. Really? Yeah. And that's you how we met. Out, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him <laughs> and knowing Jeff and, and now meeting you. So cutting hair is it's, it's, it's a networking thing. You know, you mm -hmm. meet cool people. And if you're smart, not like these little dummies today that wear headphones while they cut hair. But if you're smart, you'll talk to the person in your chair. You'll get to know them. Mm -hmm. You'll see their different background. And I was always infatuated. It was like, like something was always calling me. I knew life was bigger. The world was bigger. And I used to hear people's different stories of them traveling, what they did for a living. And I got infatuated with that. So then I would cut the hair They to see their expression, the before and after. I'm a very creative person, so I like to create things. I love the before and afters. And to see how happy they were because I did that. Mm. It was a self-gratifying feeling that you wouldn't get from selling dope. Selling dope only gave me money. Cutting somebody's hair made me feel good about me because I made them feel good and they yeah. were happy. So yeah. it, would, you couldn't, it, was, it was a rush, and especially as a young barber, as one that's coming up, you can't duplicate that high. Like, hey, I made him feel good. I'm the man because I made him feel good. And then you start going to different clubs, and then there's a security guy that you cut, and he lets you in underage, and he lets you in for free. Mm. And now you're 15, 16, 17 years old at a strip club. You feel like you're hot shit, you know what yeah. I mean? And I'm just a barber. Right, but this barber was hustling and doing other things. And but cocaine, all the strippers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, okay, that makes sense. And so, the time when you got, um, the time you got snagged by the feds, can we go deep into like how that happened? Like, what what was it? Or do you want to like? Yeah. No, there's still stuff that we can't talk about because gotcha. I'm like, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be involved. <laughs> I don't want to be involved. <laughs> so, so the feds and the state were working together. So it was yeah. actually the, the, the feds ended up dropping it. The state picked it up. Uh, like, again, we were, we were doing a transaction. I told my friend, I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I got a bad feeling about this. And he was he, he, he was like, oh, man, you always with your feelings. You always got a bad feeling because I'm a very, <laughs> like, I had a dream last night and I'm telling you right now. And he was so sick of hearing that shit. So he was like, man, you and your feelings. But this one was on point. Was it somebody you had bought from before? or Never, just, never. So there, was a, new there was a drought going on in Fort Myers and it was not a lot of uh, coke coming in. It was very hard. Our connects, something happened to a couple of our connects. We had some issues there and we ended up going, meeting meeting some guy through some guy type of deal. We didn't even know the guy. Uh, and the whole, everything about it was sketchy so from the night before. Well. Yeah, some desperation. It was like you're running through all this money and we're blowing money. Like when we're talking about blowing money, we're blowing money, mm. like like crazy money. Because is there much of a margin um, on like, everyone thinks like, all right, I sell blank and then I make like 200 grand. But there's like usually like re-up fee and like buying the stamps. Absolutely. Powder. Absolutely. Turning it over. Yeah. <laughs> Step on it. <laughs> no, I mean, just you like, you know, it's you like you've you, you got to buy stuff and still bring it in. It's Correct. like you and might then, have 200 and grand. And you, and you still got to live. You still yeah. got to live. You still got expenses. And then there might be good times and there's bad times. And there's, you know, everybody has high points and low points, just like a business. You, you know, you run into a, uh, an illegal operation mm. that happens to be a business. Yeah. So. And so, so. Obviously, like you guys, it was a bit desperate. Um, so you had to end up taking that deal. If it was a good time, would you have still taken the deal, do you think? Or like as in 
to go yeah. do the sale? Hell no. I told him the whole time I didn't want to do it. I didn't like the numbers. I didn't like the, the, the feeling. I didn't like Plus, the Plus, you got to drive home from Miami but, to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> there was nothing good about you it. You said the numbers. What do you mean? Like they were giving an offer that was didn't make sense? Or? I don't remember what it was at the time, but it wasn't something that was like, oh my gosh, we have to jump on this. I remember that. Did you get I, like popped at the buy or is it like you bought and then- well, we're, gonna no, no. To, we're gonna get to it. Don't okay. jump to the story. <laughs> yet. We're at this point. So the numbers didn't make sense. It wasn't that they were high, but they weren't low either. They were, it was just like, like, okay, we're going to go take all these chances with these people that we don't know for a number that that wasn't like, it wasn't like a deal. Like, we weren't getting- Not worth the risk. The risk wasn't not worth, worth the reward. Right. The, yeah. the risk wasn't worth the reward. Exactly. So So then we, 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 we meet up with them the night before, and it was like a scene out of a movie. We got our bulletproof vest on. We have our guns or whatever like that. Jesus. We meet the- Yeah, it was like a real deal. Like of choice. What is it? Back then. Back then? <laughs> I don't know. I don't play with guns. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, I used to carry. Um, I don't even know. I think it was a forty. It was a forty cal. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was a forty. That's about my first one. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. That and, and revolver. You, you always carry. Right, your Floridian now. Yeah. yeah. I know. Now I'm a, I actually got my license as a Floridian. So oh, I, was, nice. I did a poll. I was like, "Does this mean I have to buy a gun?" Seventy eight percent said yes. So I was like, "All right, fuck." Nice. Me. I don't have those rights anymore, unfortunately. Hopefully, yeah. our, gov our, our governor changes that. I feel like we have a good governor. He just needs to, yeah, needs to speed up the process and let people that actually change, you know, go through a process if you need to. Is yeah, that forever? Definitely needs to be a process. Is that if you're an ex ex con, you can't ever. Yeah, nah. at the moment it's at no, the moment because I got a, a big few no. friends that are like that. And it's a big no. It is a shame. They should be like they're so quick to incriminate people, but it's just like they allow you to vote, it's, but it's you can't carry a gun. Well, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's meant to be a was it rehab center in a way like rehabilitating rehabilitation, habits, but right. then you get out and they're like we don't trust you for the rest what? of your life you're like well then what the well, fuck that's why was you got into barber because you can't like most people can't get like legit jobs and correct stuff yeah correct so yeah, it's, supposed, exactly. it's supposed to be a correctional <laughs> facility so you yeah. break down the word correctional it's to correct something yeah but if you if you don't give people back their rights after they serve their time you didn't really correct well, anything because then you're feeding the problem which is like all right cool we, we you now are good enough to their terms to be in society but hey, by the way, now you still need to feed your family. You still need to do these things, but you're, you're not allowed to do these jobs. And then you're, we're going to kind of make you a bit desperate so you do go back to the crime because that's all you've got. Right. Like the, in um, pamphlets, like uh, stock portfolio brochures for prisons, most of them say like this is our return rate of people coming back. So don't worry, once people come out, they could usually come back in like that. They brag Those about how they shit business. at rehabilitating. Yeah. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent, their business. It's so terrible. And Bob Barker makes was making millions off of jail, and yeah, a lot of them are privately uh, held. Jordan and, as well. It's like this. <laughs> so it's I heard. Just, I didn't. I didn't do a research on on. Well, that's Michael the thing. Jordan, that's but the thing I heard that's messed that. up with this this country with the prison system. Is once one, it's the privatization. So it's like there's not a financial incentive to correct people. There's an financial incentive to not fully so that, hey, we we want you back in. Correct. And that that's something that I, I don't know how it changes because they're so embedded with the policymakers now, but there should be more of a financial incentive to not get people back. But then they, you know, they might not then get people in. They're like, this guy committed a crime? Let's push that under the table. Like, yeah. So I don't know what the solution is. But um, so when you went to, to meet the guys, like, what, what did you? I mean, you had some red flags already. Um, how did it all go down um, on that day? Do you remember? It? Well, the next day we we spent the night, and I'm telling my I'm telling my friend, I'm like, hey, 
there's nothing right about this guy. I don't like I don't like anything about him. Oh, so you did the deal and then no, 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 no. they met. No, first we met first. Before. We met oh. first. The guy like him and his buddy pat us down. They're like, Why are you guys strapped for? I'm like, why wouldn't we be? I don't know you what the hell. <laughs> this is not a so, normal situation. <laughs> I didn't like the I've never been shook down like 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 if you, a street dude doesn't normally shake down another street dude. The way they were patting us down, though, yeah, I they, felt like, they assume you've got a gun, right? And I just yeah. felt like, yo, you working with the police. And I remember just police cars driving down that street over and over and over. I'm like, mm. why do these police cars keep driving by? Just to make so, sure that was safe, right? Later on, we realized the reason why they never uh, moved in on us because we never brought anything. We 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 they thought we were under the impression we we're gonna we we're gonna make right business then right there. then and there. Mm-hmm. We went in there like, no, nah, we got to fill these guys out. And then my boy was just kept being curious and more curious. I'm telling him, I don't like nothing about this guy. I don't like the yeah. way he looks. I don't like the way he, but he smells. Came anything. That far into it, you're like, <laughs> you're, you're he's already in. So he's yeah. like. He, nah, he, only, we, he only saw why it would work because right. he wanted it to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, dude, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. So the next day we get up in the morning, we eat breakfast. I didn't know it was going to be the last breakfast I ate for a while. So yeah. I ate the breakfast. What'd you eat? Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. I think it was uh, French toast, scrambled eggs. You still ate pretty good, bro. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. French it, it toast was, is delicious, it was. bro. It was. It was actually, it was really, we're fluffy French toast. I remember that. They had really? like a little powder on there. Fuck, you live a good life, <laughs> yeah, huh? Yeah, I did. I, did. I, was living, I was living extravagant. It was like $14 for that. Wow. The hustler's breakfast. Yeah. So we meet up at a place called the Miami Highline. That was weird already because the Highline is a place where they play like racquetball and stuff like that so like a, it's like a, a rec center it's a white person's place no, no Hialeah's like, like a Hialeah's like a, a little Cuba so oh it's really like, yeah it's like little Cuba you got more Cubans than Hialeah than Cuba they're like racquetball it just sounds like yeah. a white person no, I mean, no, like handball are you saying highline like the sport highline yeah yeah, yeah oh, like it's like a big like U-shaped mm-hmm. thing and they throw it's like a ball. Uh, I compare it to racquetball whatever. Uh, okay that's what the highline yeah so a whole lot faster right so we went there so as soon as we pull up we parked next to a car, and the car was tinted windows, and it just looked like an undercover. I was like, bro, this is an undercover car. Let's move around from over here. So we ended up, and I was on the outside of the fenced area. So then I'm like, let's just go. And he's like, man, just chill, just chill. So then we ended up parking. He gets out. The guy's in a van waiting for him. So he gets out, goes into the van. I stay in the car, and... Um, I'm texting on the phone. I remember, remember those Nextel? Those little yeah. You know, I had one of those. And all I remember was him talking to the guy. And the music was loud. And I had the music and I was just bumping. I'm just there and I'm texting my girl at the time. I said, see you soon type of deal. And I felt like a little light in my, in my eye. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I'm looking and I see like a little light and it's just bouncing. It's a little red light. No. And I put the little music, I put the music yeah. down, and all I hear was, put your last hands where I can see them. Step out of the car. Oh, I hear yelling. I'm shit. like, oh, shit, it's going down, you know? <laughs> so the, 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 my door gets flung open. Big-ass dude, I remember, like SWAT team, picks me up. Now, I'm 140 pounds at that time. <laughs> Fleeing, I'm 23, skinny <laughs> as hell. Flings me out, throws me on the ground, hits me with a with with the back of his uh, uh, his rifle, his assault rifle, hits me in the back. Boom! I was like, "Oh shit, this asshole!" <laughs> and he was like, "Welcome to Dade County, motherfucker!" And I was like, "Whoa!" That's the exact words I remember. 
And uh, when I look over to the side, I was I was down, and I, I see my boy laying there, and we're just looking at each other, and we're like, Psh. and all I could think about was, I told you so. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> I told you, man. Did you ever? I told you. Obviously, you talked to him after the fact. Oh yeah, we're still great friends to this day. He, Did he, he served the same amount of time. Was that no? He got a little bit more time because he had a previous record that was a little more extensive. Mine. I had never went to prison. He he had did. Uh, so I prison believe, sentence is like a compound interest situation, is it? Yeah. So if you do if you do if you do a prison and then you you get you get put on the score sheet. So if you go catch another charge in a certain amount of time, they see what what you score out to. So really, yeah. So he scored out to more time than me. Uh, we never told on each other to this day. Um, he changed his life around too. He's doing really great. Shout out to him, and I talk to him all the time. I actually just talked to him before I, I jumped on this podcast, and I was in the car talking to him for a while. He's actually my kid's uh, godfather, and I'm his kid's godfather. Mm. Solid, solid dude, older than me. So he's he kind of like took me under his wing. So rewind a little bit. When I really got into the game really hard, it was him who really like showed me how to really hustle. That was, that was the big bro, you know? And uh, he's older than me, kind of took me in like a little puppy. And so I used to look up to him. So I, so following him to Miami wasn't something hard. It was yeah. it was easy. He needed me there. He wanted me there. Is that I'm maybe going. why you probably didn't speak up as much? Because you saw him more as a a, a leading figure Correct. in the situation? So, yeah, so like, he must know something I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so I didn't challenge him too much. I just yeah. told him how I felt. Even telling him how to felt was weird, you know what I mean? Like, yo, I got this feeling, you know, it's not, it's, it's weird. And even challenging him on that, and but you didn't really challenge him, not out of fear, out of respect. Mm. Wasn't scared of him. It was, it was out of respect. He, he, he always made sure I was good. He always looked over my shoulder. I looked over his, and we had that, that mutual uh, bond. Yeah. That ma- okay, that makes sense because, man, if I ha- – I don't know. I, I know when you're in sort of a situation and I'm like, this is a small situation, but when you're trying to buy something – and you're like, ah, I just don't feel like it, but you kind of bypass those emotions because you're like, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Yeah, because yeah. you really I mean, want the outcome. <clears throat> really? Yeah, you're so blind you by the like, outcome. And I want to make him happy. I was like, if, if he feels like I need uh, I need to be there and he wants me there, he could have anybody else there. He has me to be there. So yeah. that that's how I was looking at it back then. I was like, okay. Yeah, so, it, was a, so. it was a blessing. And a yeah, to like, be with him, I was like, that's big bro. He, he wants me to come. Mm. You know, he had other people he could have called. Yeah. Know? And so, so when you get locked up, what was the first – day like that that day that you got um put into prison oh shit i remember that was a that was a that was a scary feeling not knowing what was going to happen as far as my freedom i didn't know how long i was going to be there that was the fear the fear of not being able right not being not knowing when how long i'm going to be here like so then they started talking about capital offense they well first they hit me with the no bond and i'm like no bond Mm. i was like murderers get bonds why do i not have a bond so it come to find out it was a capital offense when you What's a capital offense? A capital offense is anything punishable by life. So Oh fuck. That's scary. Right. So twenty three as well, man. You got a lot of life ahead of you. Hopefully. So they're they're saying this charge carries fifteen to life. Fifteen minimum that you have to do. And then at that time the laws had changed. So it used to be sixty something percent of your time. This one is like you have to do like eighty, eighty five percent of your time. So most of your time out of fifteen, you're gonna do probably thirteen. Mm. You know, 13 and a half out, of, out of 15. So that was a scary feeling when they said, well, you have a capital offense. You have no bond. And I'm like, no bond? And I couldn't understand that. And they hit me with all type of charges. Mm. They hit me with conspiracy. They hit me with armed. Trafficking is one thing. That's that's about a five-year sentence, three to five years. Armed trafficking, now you have a gun 
in the in the in the in the during the process of, of committing a crime that has now turned into armed trafficking that is the capital offense not ah. trafficking and not being armed if i'm armed i was already a convicted felon by then because i already had a cocaine charge before that mm -hmm. on some little stuff but that right there um it, you know having a gun by a convicted felon that is is uh, something that's five to seven you're gonna do or, or three to five anyway either way that and trafficking carry the same almost around the same amount of time when you put those together now you're talking about arm trafficking that's 15 to life okay. that's a capital offense yeah so murderers get get, get are, you know murder is a capital offense rape is a capital offense mm. there's certain charges that are punishable by life me in my mind that's where i was like what the hell i shouldn't be in the room with no rapists i didn't i never raped anybody you know so um that was kind of weird to me it was like well shit i ain't shoot nobody i didn't kill nobody i just had guns and it was you know so they had to prove that i knew about the gun the guns were found in the car as long with i think it was like nineteen thousand dollars that they found on us mm -hmm. i was in the car the car was a rental car there's a lot of loopholes that came along with that um, so they hit me with conspiracy. They hit me with armed tracking, uh, trafficking, possession of a firearm by convicted felon. It was a whole shit ton of, of stuff that they hit us with. So now it's your, your lawyer's job to go ahead and get some of those, those things thrown yeah. out. So And then wait, too. As and far wait, as I'm, correct. Yeah. So now I'm sitting. I'm sitting in, 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 in a Miami jail. Uh, first it was uh, TGK, and then I went to Metro West. And Metro West is where I, I sat there, which was actually a better jail than... This is why I think like God is so real because He put me in the better of the jails than the other ones. Like mm -hmm. you could have been at Stockade, you could have been at a, at, at at a worse jail. TGK. And what, what makes them worse than the one you're in? Just the amenities, like the 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 one I was. The with. <laughs> yeah, the amenities. I want a clean toilet, well, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the, the level of criminal. I'm sure you. They probably. Yeah. Well, they they had me on maximum s security. That was weird yeah. to me too. So capital fans, maximum. So, but so they they had so it, it felt it, like it was over the top. Granted for what it they, was. the thing is, is that if you're if I would have got into some sort of trouble there, they could have transported me into like a stockade or something. Like mm -hmm. they go off of like what kind of trouble has he been into and stuff like that. But there, I mean, they were murderers still though. So, mm -hmm. but if you're a troublemaking murderer, then they put you somewhere else. You're a troublemaking uh, <laughs> nar narco, whatever. There's you know levels. What I mean? to this shit. There's levels. <laughs> so when I went in, they're just like they're giving you a chance. They're like, hey, we're gonna put you in a in a, in, in, a, in a better one, you know, which was cleaner, had AC, stockade doesn't have AC. Mm. We had like seven phones on the wall versus sharing one phone. Mm -hmm. So there's quote unquote amenities, which is, it just makes the, everything at ease. Now, there was a police officer in that dorm watching 24 seven. That kind of sucked. You couldn't really. That sucked? Uh, you wouldn't, didn't feel like you were safe. No, nah, that, that sucked because remember we're, we're, we're banditos, man. We're criminals. Yeah. We don't want nobody babysitting <laughs> us. You know what I mean? We want to do illegal stuff in there. But I mean, does you it know? give you a sense of like protection that you're not going to get? Fucked Hell up no. And, there was fights happening every day, every day that with the with the with the officer there. Look. The officer gets attacked. You know, that's mm -hmm. the unsafest thing you could yeah, do. That's probably the worst. Put them in, the put a cage around them, protect them, or something. But. When you you know you want the 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 magazines that you're not supposed to have you wanna you know you want to sneak in the dirty mags. the weed right you want to <laughs> sneak in the little weed or whatever you can't do nothing you can't smoke in there you can't do how nothing. do you jerk it in prison oh you know how they get it in prison that's why I never did drugs <laughs> no no I mean like like how do you jerk it oh jerk it yeah, I thought like, you said how do you get them in no, prison no no I mean you can get it in how do you I mean, like how do you is it weird do you have to be like hey bro I know we're sharing a cell but just turn around and block your ears no for a so sec? so that's different I was in, still in, in the county jail at that time so 
County jail, you go to the shower and you do rub one off. You know, if you have a Are cell, they like open showers. No, they, they, you know, you take turns. I'm like, very proud. No, boy. no, in prison, it's <laughs> a, in prison, it's an open shower. In yeah. county, it's 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 more like uh, little little stalls. Gotcha. With like a little uh, curtain or whatever. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, cute. <laughs> they don't have any little flowers or anything like that. But, um, in prison, it's an open uh, shower. Now that you know, you want to take care of yourself. You go in your room. Or you get uh, a girlfriend in there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you get a girlfriend in there. That's the way you swing it. I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, you just put a little towel on your window, and your your cellmate knows. Like when you really? when your towel is up, I know how to to give him space, and I don't go up there until he takes his when he takes his towel down. It's good to go. You can go back up there, or whatever, like that. Interesting. So yeah. There's a whole jerk at etiquette. Oh yeah, so <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's I like to thing. hear people looking after one another. <laughs> can you get like porn and shit in there? Like, yeah, magazines? absolutely. Yeah, magazines. That's how I started yeah. the jerking oh, okay. conversation. Yeah, the magazines. What, and stuff what like type that. of what was your favorite magazine? Uh, I didn't, I didn't get indulged in so that I like too tough. I didn't, I didn't indulge in that too tough. I, I, I was more like. Like, I wasn't even in the mood for that. I wasn't even in the mood to eat. I just felt sick all the time. I was like, oh, man, when is this shit going to be but over? You, so how long did you, you end up only serving two years, all right? It was uh, about 18 months, yeah. So it, I got sentenced to six uh, split sentence, and my lawyer fought for, at first they wanted to give me more time. It was They were offering me uh, eight years, and they were giving me like six in, two out type of deal. And I was like, hell no, I'm not taking that shit. So he, we got a split sentence that gave me a six years. Then the six years, my lawyer fought for me to have a split sentence and get the rest on uh, house arrest and probation and all that wow. good stuff. So mm. relatively being in jail out on the streets, you still got to check in. They still got to take that all day. Which, which yeah, is, so, I, take I mean, I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. So I did like about 18 months in prison and he got me that. So I was able to get out. Yeah. And so during your time um, in prison, what were the things that made you just be like, okay, this is not the way I want to live my life and I have to change 180 degrees? So in, in, so when I'm in the county jail, I spent months in there fighting this thing, you know, months I was just in there. And at that time I was just like more, again, worried about everything, you know, so I wasn't really like right mentally. So I didn't give a shit. Like I would have got out in county jail, like if they would let me out, I went back to do the same thing. So I got, mm. eventually I got out. My bond was a $250,000 bond. And I what was- What kind in, of weight? I was asking like, wait, how much weight were you picking up? Or what? Oh, like, kilo. You know, okay. Kilo, yeah. 2.2 pounds. Yeah. And so they don't care like that. That's clearly, like you're not getting that 250 from legitimate sources, but- yeah, well, like, well, no, but if, you only have to put up 25 for bond, right? Because like, you yeah, you put up 25, but then they put a Nivea hold on there and they want to see where that money comes from. So that's the tricky part. So how do they? How do you do the bonds? So t- the bond is ten percent of what you, w- whatever the bond is. So, mm-hmm. but you have to put the rest in collateral. So you have to put something. Gotcha. And I had some people, in, you know, at that time, um, I was close with. They put their house, their house up and stuff like that. They had businesses, so mm. they were able to show where that money came from. So I was literally out for two weeks after spending twenty five k on 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 getting out. I was out for. Two weeks, and they, my lawyer calls me. Remember, I had been in jail for months. You mm. know what I mean? And my lawyer calls me. He's like, "Oh, they're ready to go to trial or whatever." And it's like in two weeks. I'm Spit like, "What the, the hell out of here?" <laughs> so we got there, and that's when they were uh, throwing numbers around and stuff like that. And I said, "Hell no, I'm, I'm, I won't take that." And then he is that twenty five k gone at that point? Like you it's gone. So the ten percent's non refundable, but non refundable. So you pay like, that just to get your the collateral. Out. They give as long as you show up to your date. 
the twenty five k they don't you don't get that back, but, but they'll they give you like your deed so to the house or okay. whatever the, whatever you put up for collateral, <clears throat> you know. Because the yeah. bail bondsman puts up the difference, right? Correct. So what does bail bondsman make on that deal? Shit, I don't know. They're making a whole lot of money, man. Maybe we should be bail bondsman. I know they make some money. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the bail bondsman. You'll be the muscle. You go back. I can see your whole tactical gear, man, going out there. Where's the bond? I'll put the money up. Where's the bond? Where's the money? You haven't paid. You're going back to jail. We'll get people for that. I'll put the money up. AJ the bounty hunter. Because I know, like, if you jump, like, you don't show up. Wait, side question. Is Doug the bounty hunter local? I'm trying he, to get him on I my think, pod. I think he's in Florida now. Yeah. I think he is. We've got to get him on our pod. Sorry. Yeah. Now he's in Florida quite a bit, I think. Yeah, no, I think or he moved here now. Yeah. I, thought, so I just read something. He, he looks somebody. like he's Floridian, doesn't he? Yeah. He looks, I don't know, he makes sense, but. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, that was, we had a discussion on my other podcast before. about him, and I was just like, then noticed he was in Florida for a bit, and I was like, we've got to get him on. He looks like, a, he does look like a Floridian. Everybody's been in Florida, man. It's a place to be. It's a place to be. Yeah, it's paradise. Yeah. So when you go back, what okay actually you know what the feeling of going back and then going through those i guess negotiations for lack of a better term with the sentencing how long did that then take um to get processed and then oh no it was happening right there like you're turning yourself in right yeah. there when he called me my lawyer called me and said they're ready i already knew i was that was it so i went in there i took the the, the six-year split sentence i wasn't taking the eight that i didn't like those numbers and um he, I remember he get he, he remember he get well remember he the, the eight deal was that they wanted me to um, do six years in prison two years out with the six year split sentence they were giving me credit for those uh, all that time I had been in in, in county mm. and on top of that go in and do another year so so oh, that's a way better deal right so yeah. so then plus gain time and stuff like that then the rest of that time those other four years would have to be done. Um, um, in it, you know, obviously community control or probation or house arrest or whatever. So I was like, that's the deal I wanted. Of course. So he said, you're not going to get this deal. You're crazy. You're blowing it. They're going to give you 15. I said, if, if you can't get that deal and they say no, then you get the worst case scenario. And then you, you? Get, then you go to trial. And if you lose in trial, you're getting the max or the Oof. minimum, the minimum, <clears throat> at least the minimum, not the max, I should say, the so minimum, which like is 15 years. Correct. Well. That's Oof. all a lawyer is. He's writing contracts, going back and forth. <laughs> Plays golf with the guy. I'll give you this one. You give me that one. That sort of deal. Yeah. Wow. So when when I when I talked to him, I said, "This is what I'm willing to do," and he's like, "You're crazy. You're not. You're blowing this whole thing. Just take the 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 eight years or whatever like that." And I said, "No, I'm not." Because you wouldn't have gone out to like what you're 30 then. Yeah, I was. I would. Yeah. You literally lost the rest of your 20s. Correct. So so he was like, "You're not going to get this." He comes back, the lawyer, my lawyer. He comes back and he said, "I don't know who you pray to." He goes, but they went for it. Wow. And I was like, and 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 it was just me not caring, throwing it all online. I don't care. They're not going to get my life. Like, it was just me just like, you know, fighting internally. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I had, I was just like, nah, I'm not doing it. I was like, we didn't even do nothing wrong, really. You know, in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. We didn't do nothing wrong. Nobody got hurt. There was no transaction was ever made. It was, it was was right there. You're, you're trying to get me for armed trafficking when no transaction was ever made. So I knew that was a strong uh, fighting mm. uh, point right there. I knew that was a, a hell of a loophole. Then we're in a rental car. You can't prove those. My fingerprints wasn't on the guns. I got money in a bag that's closed. I didn't know the money was there. There were so many things that were questionable, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. so when you're in a car and there's a bag <laughs> full of money and the other guy's not even in the car, that car is not even in either one of our names. So I see, I saw so many loopholes. I said, hell no, this is what I'll take. But I didn't want to take the chance of going to trial because 
at 15 years, I was like, nah, I'm not yeah. gonna do that. But I'll take this little bit of time because I'm not innocent. Like I was there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I did that. And then he was like impressed. The lawyer was. And he was like, you know, whatever, whoever you pray to keep, keep doing it. Cause yeah. We got and so at that point, you're still a little bit of, by the sounds of it, like, you know, puffing chest up. Correct. A bit correct. of like, I'm unstoppable. Yeah, correct. You just well, got a good deal. So you're probably thinking you're king shit a little right, bit. Right. Um, right. What point in prison were you like, I'm going down the wrong path. This shit oh, needs man. to change. Shit, well, uh, when I get to the county jail, all types of stuff happened to me during during that time. Uh, you know, my papers got messed up. I was only supposed to be in the county jail for a few days. I ended up there a few weeks. Now that was a dirty cell. That wasn't. I wasn't at the at the luxury center of, of uh, Metro West. I was before. The amenities weren't as nice. Yeah, there was no amenities no there. No shower. And then, yeah, <laughs> no. I saw guys doing some weird stuff in there, and that's when I was just like, "This ain't for me, man." Like they were doing mm -hmm. some weird stuff. Can you tell us? And I mean, I'm intrigued. Just like what's what's weird according to Boom? Uh just I, I just think that the whole thing of, uh, man, how do I even say this? <laughs> Like, you got guys in there that you would never think in a million years would be doing some of the stuff that they're doing in there. Gay and stuff. then, like gay shit. Gay shit? <sighs> but I heard if you don't have sex with a man within six months of your release date, it's not, it's like, considered I don't know not who's gay. giving you this information. I heard no, from another like prison Blake's, dude. Blake, Blake <laughs> yeah, science. they call it like prison gay. It's like you're not gay, you're just it's your prison past. gay. It's like. <laughs> So listen. And six months is the cutoff period. You just <laughs> hope you don't get out early, and you're like, "Fuck, I'm two months in." Listen, for <laughs> the, fucking gay for, now. For, 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 for the record, I don't. I don't. For the record, I don't care how anybody's living their life. If that's the way they're living, that's the way they're living. But it's weird to me when you're not actually living like that on the streets, and then you go in there, and then you start living like that. Like, hey. you know? mm. So then, <laughs> then you're just stuff. meeting this person. You don't know him. Like I, I met, I saw guys coming in off the street that day. The other guy had been in there for a while, and then they're sneaking in the shower together at night. That was weird to me. Really? I was like, what the hell? You guys aren't scared of like AIDS and stuff like that. Like you're not scared of you health know, catching benefit. it. Yeah, health, 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 risk, right? health risks. So I saw that. Then I saw like guys getting their whole head bashed in, like on some like, Oof. like gory type of, you know, it wasn't normal. <laughs> it wasn't like a UFC thing. It was like, these guys were just wanting to kill these guys. I was just like, damn, like mm -hmm. all that just because, you know, it was his turn to use the phone. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Why are you doing yeah. that? Maybe if that guy was like a child molester or something like that. It's interesting though, because you used to see that as a powerful thing with your stepdad. Right. Zero to 100 was inspiring, and right. now you're seeing the same result, but it's not someone you idolize, and you're right. seeing like maybe for what it is, well, like, like fuck that. But that, the reasoning that wasn't there though. At least with my stepdad at that time, it was reasoning. It was like he, the people are messing with his family. Yeah. You know, this uh, guy was like using, didn't, you know, was up next to use a phone. This guy says, you know, I'm using the phone and then going. Got beat with the phone. Right, got beat with the phone. <laughs> I was like, what the Russell yeah. Christ. <laughs> so it was just a lot of weird stuff. Um, <clears throat> I saw the abuse of the of the of the police officers on the inmates. That was more more than anything. That was a fear. That was like, what if I get into it with these police officers? They kill me. You're powerless. You're mm -hmm. powerless. Forget the guys. And if you win the fight. Now you got Fuck more years. Too. Right. Yeah. So forget the guys doing the, the, the stuff with the guys in the shower. Forget the guys beating. Forget that. I, w I was more fear of, uh, more in fear of the police officers doing something to me because I saw them abuse their power. 
I saw mm. what they and did to people. Extend your time. And extend yeah. your time. Now you're getting assault on a Leo, a law enforcement so officer. So it was the police that made you scared of going back to prison? More than not anything, the, yeah, because I don't feel comfortable my life being in, uh, in the hands of, of, somebody else. of somebody else. I don't feel you comfortable. You just felt powerless. Powerless. Yep. No, none in control. Mm. It's like another reason I don't, I don't like roller coasters. I don't like <laughs> being in control. Or I'll driving go in the Tesla. That's such a weird pairing. It's like, I don't trust coasters and roller coasters. I got well, you know, I like being on a boat, man. I don't yeah. want to be in somebody else's fucking control. Yeah, yeah. and it's like I, I like motorcycles my whole life, and I could do 120 on a bike, no problem, without a helmet. I don't care because I feel That's that I'm in control. Dangerous. I know, but I feel like I'm in control. But okay. on a roller coaster, I don't feel in control. I feel like somebody has my life in their hands, and they hit a button, and I'm going upside <laughs> down, and, and that's how I felt in jail. Like, you know, it's like, bro. Yeah. Okay. And so that that was the moment where you went, "Fuck it, this is not for me." How quick was your transition? Like, no, nah, not yet. I'm it, not there yet. You know, there yet? No, nah, not right. there yet. Still, still I'm still. Side, that that was watching watching the police officer. Then it was the food. Then it was the women. It was like, no women. Holy crap! Like. <laughs> <laughs> I only and then I got. Now then I understand I heard, why the guys are going gay. Then, then prison heard, gay, sorry, no, not then, gay. Prison gay. Then I heard stories of uh, the police officers, like the women, you know, being with the men, and I'm and I used to be like, oh shit, Wait, well, what? Maybe. Women chicks, the women. Police? Oh, there was some, yeah, women really? officers. They were getting nightsticked. Yeah, they were being nightsticked. Wow, that's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, the only one that was attracted to me was like this 375 pound one that, that she was not attractive at all. We're all God's children in the but dark. But she did bring Beauty me chocolate cake. She brought away. me chocolate cake though. Oh, really? Yeah. Did she oh, she nice didn't get hotter way. the longer you were in there? Yeah, uh, towards the, uh, <laughs> towards almost, the end, you were like, fuck this. Almost. Go in the shower, shut your eyes. Almost. She went from, <laughs> yeah, almost. I was like, Man, I was like, snap out of it, man. Snap out of it. You're almost <laughs> home. That cake. You're almost home. But she did bring me a piece of chocolate cake one time. She was trying called. to sweeten the deal. Yeah, she was. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely was. Show you how she got to 370. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you, you're still not, you're like, wait, wait, so... The fear it was when of a I woman went, overweight trying to sleep with no, you. No, you out of, I'm trying to find what made you change. Wrong, man, man. <laughs> like, no, it was, chicks, no. <laughs> it was just a time where you're in there and then you realize you don't have any control over your life. Someone's telling you what to do. Somebody's telling you when to eat. Somebody's telling you when to sleep. Somebody, ha and I just didn't like that. And I was just like, hell no. Then I'm seeing all of these talented people, people that can sing, people that can rap, people that, athletic looking people, people that had so much to give to the world and weren't able to show their true abilities or share that with anyone because mm. they were stuck in there. And I said, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I want to I show the world that I do have something to offer. Like, I just kept reading books and I kept educating myself. I had read uh, Robert Greene, The 48 Laws of Power. I read The mm -hmm. Art of Seduction. I was reading all these books that would challenge your mind and the way you look at things and the way you operate. And I just said, I have more to give. Like, I don't want to be one of these guys that just waste their life. Mm. They, they, they're born and then they come in here and then they're going to die in here. And then what are they going to tell God when, when they're there, you know, on judgment day? What are they going to say? Like, what, what, what did I contribute to society other than so dope, gave my mom, you know, damn near heart attacks. And, and, and there was, I, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't accomplished anything in my life. And I said, you know what, I want to be more than that. So that was that breaking. It was just everything accumulating, everything. And then calling home, talking to my mom. Shout out to my mom. She was the real OG. She picked up every freaking phone call. Mm -hmm. And I used to call almost every day, 
like I used to talk to her the most out of anybody else. Well, she was probably the only person I talked to. So in the rock bottom, the one person that you didn't trust before is the one person who is presenting themselves to you. Correct, correct. I mean, my mom my mom was, you know, a writer, so she picked up every call, never hit me with a bill, what they call, she just rolled out with me. Yeah. And um, she she came to see me one time. She didn't come to see me uh, other than that. She couldn't, she couldn't do it emotionally. Yeah. And... But just calling back home and seeing, hearing people, the things that they were doing with their lives and life just kept going. And I was just like, damn, life is still going on without me. Nobody really misses me. You know, th th this whole cycle is just going to continue without me. Like, if I don't leave a mark, then what did I really do while I was here? Mm. It was nothing. So it was just that feeling. And then the more I thought about that, the more angry I got when they said count time and you got to go to your bunk and sit there while they go around counting. Every, the more I thought about that, the more I used to get angry when there was a shakedown. The more I used to get angry when someone told me to walk on the line, when mm. someone told me to put your hands behind your back. When every time somebody told gave me an order, I would get more angry because I was like, I, I'm, I'm here because of me. I'm not here because of my friend. I'm here because of me. I had choices. I, you know, I, I hold yeah. myself accountable. But I was upset with myself, the fact that I let myself get there, the fact that I had not done anything significant with my life up to that point, the fact that I felt like a total and complete failure because I hadn't contributed to society. So yeah. that was that breaking point. And I said, the hell with this, for hell with, with feeling like this, the hell with these fears that I have of these police officers doing something to me and not being able to get out. I saw these people planning stuff on other people, on, on, on inmates, beating these inmates, roughing them up, not giving them fair justice trials, like people doing going in the box for extended amount of times. It was just savage. It was like, you don't treat an animal like that. I wouldn't treat my dog like that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't not treat a dog like that, let alone a human being. So that's the biggest difference is you took ownership of being there. Like those external things are happening to you, but you address the fact that this is a result of my actions versus what you could have done is fuck all this, they're doing this to me, in a way played the victim to a degree. Oh, and then oh, that's all what, the time. that could have perpetuated your problems. And then you, instead of you saying this is my fault, you're now lashing out because it's their fault. And then you go out, you start slinging dope again or whatever. So that sounds like that was the biggest difference between, like you had the same stimulus, but the ownership was on you versus I'm here and they're doing this to me. Correct. I think that whole reality of mm. like life going on while you're not part of it, like the world's still going around, days are still calculating, like shit's happening on TV and you're just stuck in this box and can't make anything of yourself would be so, <clears throat> just such a hard thing to comprehend. You know, we're on this outside and we get to make something of ourselves and you have kids and you have kids, I know, and like we have families, you have kids. You guys are making impacts on people's lives and then if you're stuck in a box like that, it's just, you're just wasting away. Correct. And and that, I mean, of course, like the other shit sounds horrific, but I think like the mental thing of that going on would just be fucking like enough, I think, to turn anybody around. Correct. Who, Jeff has who a has question. I'm like, who has you're I'm in the worst like, seat, I'm sorry. Kind of like be something of yourself and know that you can't become something would just be like so. And I don't know yeah. if Blake's going to get there, but how long did it take for you to figure out to start using your God-gifted talent to kind of, get through or kind of push through whatever you had time-wise, you know. And also, what was it like? So I'm imagining taking, you're taking a huge pay cut, so to speak. Like, you're making much better money yeah. slinging drugs, I'm guessing, compared to cutting hair. So while I was in there, I quickly realized that they don't mess with the barber. Everybody likes to get fresh to see their girl or whatever like that. So 
Uh, I met in prison. You in prison. In prison. I I I had some commissary come in, and with that commissary, I used all my commissary to buy this little machine that was really meant for beards. Mm-hmm. And because right, you can't have a blade or anything or scissors, that's all. I always kept the blade on. <laughs> Puerto Rican, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Puerto Rican. Okay. Yeah. You know, don't tell me. But <laughs> so, no. so you, yeah, okay. So, so, so I bought this little machine, and I was I started giving people haircuts with that machine. There was a guy in there. His name was uh, Bobo. Bobo means dummy. This guy had caught a a, a murder charge in the eighties. That's the guy I was telling him about. Mm-hmm. And he basically killed somebody, and his co-defendant he it was involved. Something had happened there, where they offered him time to tell on the co-defendant. The co-defendant said no, but the co-defendant, or he said no about telling. He the co-defendant tells on him. The co-defendant only does seven years, and then he ends up doing a life sentence. Ugh. When the the lawyer and everybody, all his family said that guy's a snake. Don't trust him. He's gonna turn on you. The guy dummy. turns on him, so they call him dummy, bobo in Spanish. Bobo ran the joint, you know what I mean? Bobo was an OG Cuban dude. He ran the joint, like he had like uh, drugs coming in now. I remember him coming up to me one day and he's like, hold this for me. And I, I took it and I went to my cell. He said, whatever you do, don't open it. And it was like telling a little kid, don't touch the red button. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing I did. I went right up to him, I opened it, and then I went up to Bobo. Now nobody challenged this guy. This guy was like a G, right? So I went up to Bobo and I was like, I can't hold this for you. And then he's like, why not? And then I said, because I opened it, I saw what's in there, and I don't want to get caught up with that. I'm trying to change my life, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like, I'm not trying to get back wrapped up in there. But they catch me with that, they're gonna extend my time, and I'm never gonna like break this thing. He pulls me to the side. He said, "I knew you were gonna open it. I was just testing you to see if you were real serious about change." Because I had told him before I wanted to change and mm-hmm. do different. He said, "I was testing you. Had you took that, I would have lost respect for you." You know really? what I mean? He knew I was gonna open it and, and whatever. So. So he I, actually liked your defiance. Yeah, so so he liked it. Huh. And he he, and he he respected it and super super yeah, good. You manned up to like yeah, because that's win. a crapshoot. He yeah. could have not Straight been up. that type of yeah. person. And be like, and you it, opened it. And then I was, you know, I was, I had Jeez. took the chance. I took the chance of telling him. I was like, I could, you know, and then he was known for for you know getting getting dirty. So I used to cut his hair and I used to tell him when I get out, I'm gonna be a barber. I'm gonna take my state boards. I'm I'm gonna open up a barber shop. And he was rooting for me. He really took it. He told me straight up. He goes. If you're gonna do that, do it. But if you come back here, then I see you back in here. I'm not gonna be nice to you next time. Mm. And he was dead serious when he told That's me. Why so he's he like sad. a reverse role model in a way. <laughs> I was scared of Bobo. <laughs> he's like, I ain't going back so he, in chain. So he was like a reverse role model in a way. Yeah. Like you know, he's done all the bad things to get him into prison. Right. He's running the joint, so he's clearly doing dodgy shit. But yeah. he's now saying to you, it's like, hey, don't make the mistakes I did. Yeah. You know, isn't it equally kind of weird? Like you think about it, that guy's probably still in there right now. He is. I and looked him still up. Kind I of look run, him up yearly. He's still running the system. There's still like this this little ecosystem running. Yeah. It's like a whole city here. in there. You have a whole yeah. little little store. I wonder store if he's done the shop. same to anyone else and like been like, get the like out of here. There's a new barber he, in he, town. He wasn't friendly. Yeah. He wasn't friendly. He was a, 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 a miserable, like angry at the world. Hated the police officer. He used to yeah. tell me, "He's like, why are you joking with that with that officer over there?" Like, you know what I mean? And mm. I'm like, I'm charismatic. Like, if somebody's nice to me. I'm gonna be nice to them. Like, if they were like, women. Nah. I'd be fucking them. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want some chocolate cake. I want some chocolate cake. You know, I got that cake, and. um he he was very just angry at the world. He he had he he never uh, forgave. You know he didn't have forgiveness in his heart. He never took accountability for mm. his actions. He was always like, I ain't do nothing. You know I'm here because because my co-defendant. That was always his mentality. So he he told me straight up. He said, I'm not getting out of here. I'm living like this. 
I don't want you living like this. You got hope. You know, you got a lot of aspiration. And he goes, it's going to suck because you're the best barber that's been through here. Just a quick reminder, guys. If you haven't done the Adam test, it's bit.ly forward slash free Adam test. It's free. It's 60 seconds. And also 88% accuracy rating to find out if you have low testosterone and what you can do after that. So bit.ly forward slash free Adam test. Let's get back to the show. You know, and as long as I've been to prison. And uh, so I was just cutting them up and I used to charge people a pack of tops. It was like three, three, three packs of tops to give you a haircut. A pack of tops is, is these, uh, it's like it's cigarettes that you roll yourself. Mm -hmm. So they have nicotine with the rolling paper, you roll it yourself. That moved that, that particular compound. Mm. Different times and different compounds, different things move that compound. That compound at that time, tops was moving it. So if you had more tops, the richer you were. You would actually change those tops in for real money. There was real money on the compound. I remember um, uh, giving money, you know, through my visitation, a family member or whatever like that. They come visit me, sliding them a hundred dollar bill. You know what I mean? So, you had a hundred dollar bill? Yeah. So, so uh, I had money all the time because oh, I, I was a barber. Because I thought like bar, I thought in prison it's like you got a job, you got like. 12 cents. Well, the cents. thing is, I wasn't working. He was I, just doing it. That's right. I wasn't, you're right. I was all hustling on my so own. I wasn't the legit, like, yeah, I'm balling. I, I'm not the legit barber for the, for the prison. Right, you're like, they, 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 they those people had assigned jobs and that was a real, um, well, they, they didn't like it as much because they were paying 12 cents. Well, the, They're like, the ah, thing, this thing, the thing was, I tried to be the, the prison barber because they would keep me out of the dorm and get you out early too sometimes. It keeps you out, you get more gain time. But that was a black-operated compound where the, the officer was black, uh, all her officers were black, and she did not like Spanish people. So the barbers were black. Even though I was a barber from the street, she put somebody, because uh, I had went to school and everything, and they knew that, because um, they have all, all your information. Even though she chose to put somebody else that had no skill as a barber as the prison barber, just solely because he was, he was, yeah. he was black. She did not like Spanish people. You know, So that was a... a, a, a Primarily black operated um, prison. She was cheesecake girl. Though? What, was that? Was cheesecake girl? She, she, she broke the mold. She, she broke the mold. Yeah, <laughs> she was Latino and all. I love Ooh. you, baby. You know. So, but no, I'm not saying all of them were like that. I'm just saying this particular officer was like that, and she. So that I, I couldn't get that position. So I started hustling on my own and cutting people in in, in their cells or come, them coming to my cell and just swapping out. So I had a, the, my cellmate was another guy named Jimmy Melvin. And Jimmy Melvin was doing a life sentence and he had a whole like newspaper article thing on him and that was crazy. So he had been down since like 1970 something. Oof. Like he was doing a stretch. So Jimmy Melvin at that time, all his family was like dead and stuff like that. You know, all his people, he didn't have nobody. So he didn't get commissary. All his, like, everything that he had was, like, state-owned. He had two pairs of pants, two shirts, and shoes, and that was it. My, you have a locker in there, right? And you have to share that locker. You have, he has a drawer under his bed. I had a drawer under my bed. And then we have this locker. Top is mine, bottom is his, or mm -hmm. whatever, however you work mm -hmm. it out. So I'm getting fooled with tops now, and I don't have nowhere to put this. Jimmy Melvin loves smoking tops, but he didn't get no money. And he, he's old now, and he doesn't have a real hustle. And I pulled him to the side, and I said, listen, I got somewhere, I need to move these tops. Like I have too many, I'm getting paid every day. Like more people are coming to me. Now you have, you know, however many thousand inmates, people start hearing that you're the barber, you're the freshest one, they wanna come to you. Now I'm cutting on the rec yard, I'm cutting in the cells, whatever. My room is like to the max with tops. I shouldn't even have this top. I don't even have food anymore, I have tops. Cause now <laughs> I'm eating good, I'm getting food from the streets cause I give it to this guy and then he calls this guy, this guy. Now I'm eating burgers and I'm eating like real food now. 
So um, I said, I'll make a deal with you. I don't eat the breakfast here. Just give me the fruit and um, and the juice, and you can have whatever the, 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 the breakfast is. You know, keep that. Plus, I'll give you uh, three tops a week for you, okay? And, and then you have my breakfast, and you can have three tops a week. I need those lockers, though. So he was like, deal. So then I had all his lockers stacked up. <laughs> so now I got more room, and then I had to, like— I had bleach, like you couldn't get bleach. I had bleach, so I would bleach like my walls, my floor. Like I wanted, I, I, you know, I wanted to be clean because you can get staph infections, you know, all type of stuff. So I would, I had bleach, I had cologne, I had real sneakers, I had like Nikes. Nobody would mess with me. Like, and so if from the prisoners, like the prison guards' point of view, if they see you with new sneakers, don't they just be like, "Hey, hold on"? No, because or- this this camp in particular allowed different sneakers. So, like, if you came off the street from county jail to prison and you happen to have sneakers, you could sell those sneakers off. So they didn't really know where the sneakers came from. I had a fresh pair of Nikes. I'm talking about, like, fresh. Like, these were, like, you know, in prison, you have these. People, like, beep, beep, I'm sure, beat other people up for their sneakers and shit. 100%. So I ended up giving those sneakers to uh, Bobo when I left. You gave it to somebody then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right when I left, I gave it to Bobo. I said, here, this is your. What did you do with all the remaining tops when you left? You gave it to your roommate? I gave them out. I spread it out. I spread the whole dorm. The whole dorm loved me. I was was just showing love. I was like, three to you, three to you. (laughs) Everyone gets some tops. Everybody was getting tops. He's like Oprah. Yeah, yeah you, get tops. Yeah. you get tops. So I was, I was like relatively like balling there. I had like instead of like the two, you only get two pairs of pants and two shirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had like one for every every day. I had like five pairs of blues, tops and bottoms, the fresh crispiest one. I was cool with the laundryman, give him a couple of tops. He iron presses it for me when I go to visitation. You know what I mean? Different like tops. Yeah, tip for tops. Yeah. So like I was getting like chicken on the bone meal was like once a week. You know what I mean? Like they give you like real fruit, real chicken. And then I was getting like, I was getting the whole bird. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> tops, here you go. So I was I was comfortable, you know? I was comfortable. Yeah. I had the, the latest Walkman in there, the one with the real headphones, not the little uh, buds. So it was like amenities to make me feel comfortable. I was, but more than anything, I was spending a lot of tops on books. Mm-hmm. I was just reading a shit ton of books. I was reading anything from like a love novel to like something that was like some you know, space cadet sci-fi shit. You know what I mean? Like I was reading everything. I just wanted to read. I got obsessed with reading and I was just doing push-ups and reading. Push-ups and reading, push-ups reading, in between cutting hair and push-ups stuff. Push-ups while reading. Like just put that book yeah, down. I did. Yeah, I did. I was doing the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I was 100%. Awesome. I was doing the Bible like that. I'd pray and do push-ups and like read the Bible a lot. I read the Bible front to back like six, seven times. Mm. So, so once you got out of prison, um, what was the next step for you going into now a normal life rather than the gangbanging life, so to speak. So the first thing I did when I got out of prison, I had called I had called this guy that I was working for at a, at a barbershop before I went to prison. His name was Cedric. Cedric, shout out to him. Um, he's in Naples doing real estate now, doing a lot of big things. Uh, so I called him up on three-way. I called my mom. I said, call this guy up. And then she calls him and I say, yo, Seth, I'm about to get out. I want my chair back because I was already working illegally in his shop, and he he always gave me the opportunity of working there as long as I was going to school to be a barber. But I was still hustling, just keeping it out of the shop when you know mixed the two. So he said, "All right, I'll see you when you get home." Never talked to him again. The day I got out, the very first day, the first thing that I did was go to the barber shop and look for Seth. Mm. And there was somebody cutting in my chair. And he's, uh, he wasn't there. He said, come tomorrow. I called him or whatever. He said, come tomorrow, bring your stuff. So we get there. And um, I get there. He's there. And, I, uh, you know, he gives me a hug. I say, what's up to the fellas, everything like that. 
And um, I was like, I want my chair back. I want that guy out of there. Because I had helped open that barbershop. That was a relatively new barbershop. Which one was this? Uh, the Cutting Zoo. It was called the Cutting Down Zoo. Down in Naples, right? Uh, no, it was in Fort Myers originally. It was on uh, Boy Scout in 41. And then we ended up moving next to Cache by the old movie theater on Winkler. And uh, he straight up looked at the kid and he's like, get, get your stuff, get out of there. And like move over there. Like I was going to say, he didn't fire him, did he? No, nah, no, nah, he moved into another station. <laughs> okay. But I, wanted, I was real like, adamant man, about balls, having bro. I was real adamant about it having my chair. I wanted he's my chair. Like, he just got out of prison. I'm yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, he's like, you know what? Fuck. Yeah. So <laughs> now. Look at the sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> I got a twin cuts. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now um, I'm, I'm 180 pounds. I pull on like 40 pounds. Oh, I'm more buff here. Yeah, right. Damn. I'm more buff. I was eating a lot. I came out there. More of the arm. Yeah. Yeah. My right arm was obviously stronger than my left. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, I get out and, and and I'm in the shop, and I see a lot of and now I'm, I, I've formed this sort of mindset of this disciplinary mindset that I had. Mm. I'm getting up in the morning early. I'm running. I didn't even buy a phone until like three or four months after my release. I didn't want nothing to do with cell phones. To me, they're all tapped. They were tra- the whole world is just trying to you know get me back in there again. And I had challenges at that time. I had a lot of things that were happening. Um, that were just challenges, you know, and I just thought yeah. that they were, they were, it was the enemy trying to, trying to attack and get me back in there and get me out of my zone. So I was working out still. I would get up in the morning. I would run. I would jog or whatever early in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning. I was still kept that prison mentality. I would make my bed. I was still eating a lot of the stuff that I was eating in there, like cheap stuff, you know, ramen noodles and stuff. Because I had a mission. I was like, I'm going to save up. So I, the first day I got out, I made 300 bucks. I take 200. I put it away. Then I'd use the other 100 as an allowance. And I started doing that every single week. I would pay my, him the $200 for the chair. That was what he would charge for rent. Then I would pay myself. I said, I got to get this money. So about two years went by, and I kept doing that. At that time, there was a lot of you know foolishness going on in the barbershop, things I didn't want to you know participate in. It was just no customer service. It was just a free-for-all. It was literally a zoo. And Seth knew that, but he had a gold mine. There wasn't a lot of urban shops around at that time. So... Um, I had saved up enough money. I went to get my car fixed at that place where I used to cut hair in the back of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the art sport. Right. And John was still the owner. And I talked to John and I'm, I'm over there getting my car fixed. And I think I was getting a stereo in it. And he says, hey, man, why don't you uh, cut, open up on the next door and open that at a barbershop? I have a speed shop going on in there. I'm not really doing nothing with the space. And I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. So I talked to Cedric and I hit Cedric and I said, hey, um, I'm going to make a deal with you. You have some chairs in here that need to be filled. I'm going to fill them with barbers. I'm going to keep running your shop like I have been because at that time, I already two years out, I kind of like took the position of manager, but I wasn't manager. But I was just making sure that everything ran smoothly because I felt like that was my home. You know, it was, it was getting me money. I was getting paid. I was feeling good. So I said, just don't charge me no rent and I'll run this whole shop for you or whatever. And, and he's like, let me think about it. He comes back and no disrespect to him. Cedric, you know, I love you. Um, he told me straight out, he goes, the best I could do for you is like knock 50 bucks off your rent. And I'm like, what? For everything I do here? Like I would be the only one mopping the floors. I'd be the only one cleaning the bathrooms. I would be the only one really giving my all to that place. Everybody else kind of like half-assed it, treated like shit. So that right there was like that that, that point. I'm like, no, nah, I got to get out, man. Because I don't like the way this, this shit was going. Like it was pulling me back in to become that person again Maybe. as far as not dealing <laughs> drugs, but just the the way I handle situations, you know, mm-hmm. hot headed, you know, just cha- people challenging me. Nah, who you think you are? Like I'm, I'm me. You know what I mean? And 
I didn't want to be in there. And you didn't see like like it was just the that was like a rebuttal for a negotiation to open up. I was gonna step. end up I was, I was gonna end up in jail if I stayed there straight up. I was gonna okay. get to fights with people and stuff like that. Um so so then I thought about John's offer. And then I um I started doing numbers, you know. At that time there was I don't even think Amazon was around that time, was it? Like way back then? What You're year? Talking, uh, well, it's been around, it but was not a, big. It was a book store. It was a big. But it wasn't. It wasn't like I could go online and order a barber chair from no. Amazon. Sixteen, you know. It's so funny that that's a ago. foreign thought. Like, oh, I, I couldn't buy something on Amazon. Yeah, like, what? it was books back then, right? <laughs> yeah. Books. Yeah, yeah that's all I could buy. So I had to go to like Sally's Beauty Supply or whatever. Anyways, make a long story short, I made. I had. I had about twenty thousand dollars saved up from putting two hundred bucks away, and it's something mm -hmm. that I talk about today, and I encourage all. Like my barbers that are young and starting off in the game is put money away. Yeah. So I took the twenty, the only twenty thousand dollars that I had, it was like twenty twenty five something like that, and I said I'm going to open this shop up. And I opened about the shop and I thought about names. I was like, what what should I name it? What should I name it? Everybody calls me Boom, right? Um, so I was going to name it like Ivan's Barbershop or whatever. It just didn't sound right. <laughs> so then I was like, everybody calls me Boom. That's 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 Booms. Uh, car that's booms. I started saying like a plural thing. And I was like, booms barbershop, and it sounded different. It sounded, you know, it's something that you, like, what the hell is booms barbershop? So I wanted people that to be a conversation starter. So I I went with it. I re I registered the name. Went to sunbizdog.org. Obviously nobody had booms barbershop, <laughs> and I registered the name for 150 bucks. I get a business license. I start getting all these permits. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. There were so many challenges for the city. They just challenged me on everything. Something that should have took me maybe a month to open up took me six months. I got discouraged. I felt <laughs> I like this shit wasn't that. gonna <laughs> blown up. And finally, I get I get everything done up the way I wanted. I only had four chairs at the time, and I put my two weeks at the barbershop. I talked to said and I said I'm gonna holler. He, at you. Know, he knew you were building booms at the time. Though, right? I told him I, no. He didn't. He didn't know when I told him that about the deal, and he told me he he can only give me fifty bucks uh, off. I told him I'm gonna make the decision for the next six months. Did you take the fifty bucks off? No, I just left it at that. I didn't even want it because I didn't want to do. I didn't Too want to take that position. Too much work for that fifty bucks, right? Because I already I, after work I was going over there painting, working on the other shop. So I told him at that time I was like, I'm gonna open up my own shop. Then he kind of like blew it off and innocently, not 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 uh you know with any sort of negative demeanor and nothing like that. But he kind of just like yeah, a lot of people say that as bar as a barbershop owner, everybody says you're gonna yeah. open up a barbershop, right? My own spot. Right. And he never he never was a hater. He never was a hater. To this day, he'll hit me up if he's in town from Naples and and try to get a haircut with me. You know, ne never a hater. So I hit him up. I put two weeks prior and I said, hey, I'm putting my two weeks in, and um, I just want to let you know that. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, remember that shop I told you I was going to open up? It's ready now. And he's like, oh, shit. So he came up there one day to collect rent after I talked to him. And um, and then he's like, let's go look at it. And it's kind of messed up, but it's not because it was the space was the only space that was available. And I knew John, but the barbershop was actually two lights down from... No. <laughs> so looking back at it, it's like, damn, I didn't want to you do that to say. Down the road. Yeah, like really yeah, down yeah, the road. It looks like you're trying to say. Like rich, like one of your ex-barbers did the same to you. Yeah. Hindsight, would you be a little like Exactly. Sour? Looking back at it now. So, but like it would be like, go out yeah, further. <laughs> like, don't, you yeah, know what I mean? People, yeah. So um he I, he I remember him me unlocking the door and him going inside, and he was just like, he just nodded his head, yeah, and he's like, You did it. This looks really good. And he nice. never was a hater. He always supported it. He had every right to be like, 
what the hell, bro? Like two lights down. He never mentioned that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I opened. I opened with no promotion, with no nothing. We had a huge block party. The whole city came out. I remember 105 coming by and like, hey, you guys need, I see you guys just open up a new shop. Do you need promotion? I, I remember telling 105, I said, look around. Does it, need, does it look like I need radio promotion? <laughs> I got the whole city out here right now. Like we, we, we just had a, a, a great opening day. And everything just took off from there. From that shop, two years later, I opened up another shop. Mm. Like that shop continued to grow. And I went from four chairs to having obviously 10 now that I have and growing a lot more. And then I opened up a second shop. And when I opened up that second shop, I was just like, all right, cool. I got two shops. But barbershops are baby are daycare centers. If you're not there, there it's just a daycare center. A bunch most, of people. Most businesses, most businesses are daycare yeah. centers. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like you need somebody there, like either a business partner or a hardcore yeah. manager that has the same for belief sure, systems right. that you have. That's yeah. it. Because it's not going to work. And and it, it's worked for some people. But if you look at anybody who has more than one barbershop, they have more than one owner. They're not the sole owner. Yeah. They have partners. It 100% will not work. So I was juggling two barbershops. And then it was just that, that that feeling that I had in prison all over again. It's like, what now? What's my purpose? And I just didn't see it. I just didn't see, you know, having to deal with two men that, oh, he's not letting me play the music that I want to play. And, and you know what I mean? It, it it's it just, is, isn't it funny how it's like we really don't grow up? majority of us don't grow up like these moments no, we the are like problem, sort of like third person it's a different like, point in life right. a different atmosphere correct yeah we deal with the clinics we deal with the correct. employees we deal with it amongst our corporate partners you know there's the same the same argument just happens at different mm -hmm. levels correct doesn't matter how much and we're all guilty of it in our own times too like sometimes you look back at yourself and you're like damn i was a bitch grow up bitch. <laughs> oh i did it i did it i did it a bunch of times where yeah. like i got into some you know situations and i'm not proud of you know and mm. and looking back at it, i'm like Damn, boom, you could have handled that different. Now, today... At, at, but at least you got the foresight to look back and do that rather than... Again, like yeah. it seems like you're someone who takes ownership of their shit, which is such a very Rarity. rare thing to do. And it's like, I mean, you, we've got to work on it too. Like Usually well, it's like say, a month later, you're the victim, but then three months later, you're like, wait a minute. So, and like Accountability is a, a huge thing. word that a lot of people yeah. can't even spell, let alone act on. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> I can look back at the way that I handled situations when I first started opening the offices, and you get very like, you know, at the time you think you're making all the right moves, and or you give this I don't give a shit attitude, and you look at it in hindsight, and you're like, at that time I was a fucking asshole, or I was right. immature, right? Or I didn't have the know with how how to see how this would actually like transpire if I actually made those actions. And I think as we all get older and we get more successful, whatever that success means to you, you, you know, you do look back and you, you wonder what moves you should have made. I mean, you can't obviously do anything about them, but kind of learn. At least, um, at least you learn from them. Though. You know, we're in the process of opening two new offices right now. We have two different, you know, dynamics of employees and partners, and you learn how to train them differently. You learn how to work with them differently, how to treat them as human beings differently. Um, you know, you want to be a mentor, but at the same time, you also need to still be mindful of your business and, and your money. And, but you want to kind of instill that knowledge and that want for them to grow and become successes. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It, it, is. Is, it is a challenge when you're a business owner. So at what point after opening this, this store, like, I mean, for people who don't know, you're obviously a, a motivational speaker as well. Um, but what aspect of it is in your life, is it the barbershop? Is it the motivational speaking part that you take f real focus on helping other people, other uh, men come out of um, 
the judicial system and then turn their life around rather than get stuck back in it? And what do you do with that? Is it ownership or like, again, well, ownership of problems? Well, when after the second shot, like I said, it was that, 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 that crossroads again. It was like, damn, like. What's my purpose? You're right. It's like owning a barbershop didn't seem, it, it, it seemed purposeful <laughs> at that time. And I had made some great relationships. So I always tell people, if you're a barber, it's a platform. It's a doorway for other opportunities to happen. Take advantage of those opportunities. Don't be one of those people that gets stuck behind a chair. 20, 30 years later, you're still cutting hair. Mm. Your knees aren't going to feel the same. The shoulders are going to be the same. Alex will tell you he's been in my chair plenty of times where I say, I don't want to do this anymore, bro. I'm tired of this because... Now I'm cutting at a loyalty, not necessity. I'm cutting because he's my friend. I'm cutting because he called me to cut his hair. And I'm going to do that for him because he needs me and I need him. There's a lot of things that I call him for. So uh, I'm cutting out a loyalty, but I don't want to be one of those people that's stuck 20 years from now, 30 years mm -hmm. from now. So take these opportunities and make something of it. If you saved money, invest that money. Become, you know, Get into real estate. Get into other business ventures. But I wanted to teach other people like myself that there is a different way, that, that you can do whatever it is that you put your mind to, that mindset is everything, that determination is everything, that discipline is everything. You have to you, you have to have these things. Every day when I wake up, I pray to God. I say, God, give me strength, wisdom, and understanding, strength to take on the day, wisdom to know how to deal with certain situations and understanding, understanding of why that situation is happening and why that person is doing these things towards me or why it's happening the way it's happening. Because when you understand, when you have more understanding of knowing that everybody doesn't come from your background. So I had to learn that a lot. Like, yeah. you know, you don't step on somebody's feet when you're on the block. But corporate people, you know, when you're dealing with them, they'll step all over your feet, <laughs> yeah. right? So you have to, you have understanding of that. Yeah, it's different when it, you don't have risk getting shot. Right, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll allow you to have patience and know that this person doesn't come from where I come from, so they don't operate at my level, right? So when you pray for those things, and those are th three things that I apply, but I wanted to show other people that out there that maybe weren't looking at things from a different perspective that they can and it's okay to do so. So I started uh, started off at, at a barber battle. I started going to a barber battle competing. I met this gentleman named Curtis Smith. Curtis Smith was a mentor of mine. He introduced me to a whole lot of other people. He introduced me to a gentleman called uh, uh, named DL Master Barber. DL Master Barber was a motivational speaker. So he invites me over to Tampa one day and he says, I'm doing a speech over here at this barber shop. Come test, uh, tell your story because I've heard your story before. I think it's really, it's really dope, and I think you should, you, you can inspire some of these guys. So I go in there, unskilled, but I always, I never had a fear of stage. I never had a, a fear of, of talking. It was something that was that was given to me as a, as a gift, because even when I was in church as a, as a young boy, before I even opened my mouth, the elders used to tell my mother that boy has a gift. He's anointed. Right. And everybody used to say, if you ever heard one of my speeches, you should be a preacher, man. You should be a preacher. You know, so it's it's a gift that, you know, and I'm a firm believer that, that, that God does give people with certain things. Alex, for example, he's very, very informative with everything that has to do with men's health, things like that. He's very he's, he's great at making people feel good. As busy as he is, he always picks up the phone no matter what. And if he can't get back to you, he will. And whatever question that you have he will break down that question. He'll spend an hour with you on the phone no matter how busy. That's a gift. You have to have that patience. He's a people person. He's charismatic. That's something I've learned to be patient over life. But, <laughs> over but, my he, life, but yeah. he is. Even when he, he used to uh, come to the shop and get a cut, everybody should just sit there, ask him a bunch of questions, and just watch him talk. Mm. You know, And that's a gift. Everybody doesn't possess that. And and, and Jeff, you probably agree. He's, a, he's, he's special in, in, in that way. So you. you have a gift. So when DL heard me speak, he said, 
He said, young brother, you have a, a, a gift. I heard it again. I heard that word. And he goes, you need to work on your, on, on your story. You need to work on, on structuring it. You need to work on your deliverance. I challenge you to go to Toastmasters to work on your speech because back then I was speaking real rough. It was like a whole lot of, you know what I'm saying? And y'all, y'all, y'all can't be doing that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all got to pull up my your role, pants, man. My role you know? is if you're saying you know what I'm saying, they don't know they what know you're what saying. They know what you're saying, right. <laughs> so it was a lot of that. So the context was there. You know, what I, the, 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 the material was, was, was well, you know, but you needed to put it together and mm. deliver it in, in a way that would touch a whole lot of, of, of would touch a broader audience, I should say. So I started going to Toastmasters. I started developing my speech, the wordplay, the way I would you know, move, uh, uh, your body language, talking to people, looking in the eyes, that, that, that sort of thing. So Toastmasters is a really great tool, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in that, in that speaking club. They're worldwide, anywhere. In Australia, they have a bunch of them. They in, have in Thailand, Everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it will help you in business. It will help you in, in, in your career if you can speak well because that's how you communicate is, is, mm-hmm. is through speaking. If you can't communicate, then you can't – a lot of doors are going to keep being shut on you. Closed yeah. mouths don't get fed. So if, if, if you know that I'm hungry, if I tell you that I'm hungry, you'll probably feed me. But mm-hmm. if I don't open my mouth because I can't speak and I'm not speaking not right and I'm not speak. delivering the message, right? Correct. So I started doing that, and then I went from wanting to be an educator, which I did in the barber industry. I wanted to do shows and be on stage and teach people how to cut hair and that sort of thing. That quickly developed into I want to be a speaker. I don't want to be a motivational speaker. I want to be a public speaker. I want to cover all round, all realms. I want to cover everything. I want to dominate those stages. So I got obsessed with, with Tony Robbins. I got obsessed with Les Brown more than anybody. He's my top guy. Zig Ziglar. So I got obsessed with hearing these speakers and I felt like I had my own flavor, my own taste to bring to the table, too. So I started doing the speaking clubs. I started getting more phone calls. I started getting phone calls to go to uh, the penitentiaries. Anywhere where I could go, I would go and I would do it for free. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Oh, boom, how did you get to to, to where you're at? It took years. Yeah, It took years. It's not like an overnight thing. This, this, this is 16 years of me being released from prison, 16 years of me working on my craft, work, knowing the people, understanding the people, learning the market, learning what's needed. It's years of grinding, years of me doing a lot of pro bono work. Yeah. And, and there's still phone calls that I get here and there where I'll still offer my time for free because I know that the opportunity that will come after that is going to be a whole lot bigger than me just trying to get a few thousand dollars for a yeah. speaking gig. And that's that's an interesting because a lot of people do think uh, that's not worth my time. And like Gary Vaynerchuk says a great one where he said there was an event and this kid's like, oh, I, nah, I don't want to go. It's not worth my time. And he goes, well, how much money do you make? He goes, oh, I'm starting a business. So he goes, so your time's worth nothing. Mm-hmm. Go to that event. And I think that's what a lot of people really miss the point where it's like, it's not the money, the tangible that matters. It's the intangible that matters more than anything, which is one, I mean, go and speak in a penitentiary. I can't even say the word. Penitentiaries? Penitentiaries. That's close. It was a credit. That gives you the practice of speaking. Like it's not just, oh, I should be paid this. It's like, all right, you're still getting something intangible, which is learning how to speak to these these men and learning what it is they're struggling with so that then you can fine tune that product, which is you changing their lives versus like, now what's in it for me? Correct. Which you still have shit in it for you, which Correct. is that learning process. Correct. There's, yeah. there's a book that I, that I read. It's called The Go-Giver. And it talk, it's, the, it's the art of giving, paying it forward, you know, before you mm. even receive anything. But it also tells you to be accepting towards receiving as well. But always paying it forward, always doing for others more than 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 what you intended to, to receive. And that's always been my mindset, even before reading that book. But that book, I read it six times. It's been a great book. 
And I encourage anyone that's listening to, to read that book. And it really changes your perspective instead of always wanting for me, 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 what's in it for yeah. me. When you help other people, it's, a, it's, it's that sense, again, it goes back to barbering when I, I felt good about changing somebody or making them feel good. So when you speak words of encouragement to someone, when you tell another man you're capable of doing that, I know I believe in you. When you tell these these these, these people, you, it, a lot of people lack confidence. Mm-hmm. So when you pour into them, you'll see them change and you'll be like, man, this is this is great. We just did a, a, a health and wealth summit in, in, in Miami in January. And one of the one of the guys in the audience, he said, this, this question is for Boom. We had open panel after all the speakers did their thing. And he says, how do you keep yourself motivated? How do you, when you're not motivated, when you, when you, when you lack that motivation, that confidence. And I, and I, t- you know, and I poured into him and he, and now he messages me every day. I look at him on, uh, on Instagram and, and he's doing great things. His whole attitude has changed. It, was it me entirely? No, he probably went out there searching because knowledge isn't going to go to you. You got to go secret, but he was there. He, he went seeking and he found a, a speaker that he could connect with, and he probably found himself other people, but he's doing good now is my point. Mm. If the people are pouring into him, and I'm a firm believer that if people pour into you, you're going you're gonna to do something great. You're going to grow. It's like a plant. You pour water, it grows, it blossoms, then, then, then it reaps fruits. Yeah. And that's, that is, it's a hard thing for us to do. I mean, if, especially when you're trying to pay bills and whatever, it's like sometimes doing the free thing is tricky, but it definitely has that byproduct of just that compound, I guess a compound interest effect of this shit comes back quick, Yeah, you know, quicker Correct. than you think, longer than you hope, but quicker than you think. Correct. About. And, and, and listen, me paying it forward and not wanting anything to receive has taken me all over the globe. Mm. I've been to China, I've been to Europe, I've been to South America. I, I think I got like nine states left in the United States to say that I did all 50 mm. states. You know, I haven't been to Alaska yet, Hawaii, those things, North Dakota. Nobody goes to North Dakota. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's that? You know, nothing. <laughs> Buffalo, I think. But, uh, you know, it, it's taken me to some great places doing the speaking through. through, And it all started with a pair of clippers. You know, and, 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 I, and I have to say that, that that's where it started because that's where it, that's where it started. Mm. But... Had I not had that mindset of paying it forward and doing for others, then then I probably wouldn't have ended up in those cool places. And I've seen a lot of crazy things. I've, I think the only person that's traveled more than me is probably Alex. He's been in some crazy <laughs> places. But it's shown me a lot. And when you travel... The difference is you got paid to go where you're going. <laughs> you were paying. I, I to pay too <laughs> Smart but, man. Yeah. But it changes your palate. It changes the way you look at people, the way you treat people, yeah. the way you, 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 you look at other cultures. You understand them, you respect them more, you love more. I'm yeah. pretty sure that you've seen some cool things in your travels. 100%. Where you, where you see people and now. Opens your eyes to the world. Right. You well, see, that's the thing. You have to see different views of life to realize you're not right. They're not correct. wrong. Realize that you're not all right. of our right. problems that seem so big are so small. So small. Yeah. Just we're like so small. here with this little problem in Fort Myers or whatever city you live in. Like, so small. It means nothing. Nothing. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when you're able to do that and go... Uh, you know, have those experiences. You want to share those experiences and tell yeah. people, look what I saw. I saw this. And I'm telling you, man, don't think like this. Think like this. Uh, you know, try this food. And it's so fun, you know, to meet different coaches and connect with people. It's it's so fun to do. And it's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're still we're still doing that now. I'm still continuing to to grow every day. Every day we're growing. We can't say that, oh, I've grown as much as I can. I, I can. We always leave a little bit. 
mm. uh, empty, so that way we can we can add on more. We were talking about that before the party. He's like, Alex is like, well, I don't know if I could put on more, but he he he, he finds a way. He always <laughs> finds a way to put on more, and, and I, we well, do. The more you learn, it's like you, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I think that's the thing too is the. The more ignorant you are, you're not aware of how much you don't know. Correct. If that makes sense. Correct. So, yeah. And um, oh, fuck, I don't know where we can go from this. You're like, you've topped this up. You, you're already the longest podcast we've done. So shit, good. good. Yeah, good shit, stuff. man. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so one, love your ring. Thank Two, you. for people who want to find you, where can they find? You'll Boom? follow me uh, at Booms World on on Instagram, With and TikTok. B O O M Z World. Mm. Uh, Ivan Suarez on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, tune in, tap in with me. If you are dealing with anything in life, uh, you know you need just need some words of encouragement. You got a book somebody too, don't you? We do. I do. I oh, wrote shit. a. I, I'm, I'm, wrote yeah, a I'm, a, I'm a published author. Uh, Successful behind a chair. You can Google that. Uh, we'll we'll send you a copy. Um, also, two years ago, or about a year, was it last year? Was it 20, 2021? End of twenty twenty one. I was uh, awarded an honorary doctorate in humanitarianism. So now I'm Dang. Dr. Ivan Suarez. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I used He's that. a little late to the show. I like, I like, I know. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't know I that know one. You were doctor. Oh, yeah. I thought you was fucking around with that. Yeah, one. no, no. I'm a doctor. I'm not, I'm not that type of doctor. Ladies, chill. You know what I mean? But uh, no, it's a doctors in humanitarian for all my work, global allegiance, in, in out of uh, in Miami. Saw the hard work I was doing, all the years that I put in behind it, and said, "Hey, well, you don't need to go to college for this. You've done all the work. You put in all the hours. Mm. You've you know got out there and got real dirty. I mean, listen." I go to barber schools, I go to elementary schools, I go to high schools, I go to alternative learning centers, I go to a prison, I go anywhere where somebody says, hey, they need to hear you speak. Mm -hmm. So we just got back from doing a four-day tour in the, in the East. We we're promoting a crazy, crazy barber show. This is like the barber show of all barber shows. It's called the CT Barber Expo. It's in Connecticut. My boy Jay Majors does it. It's like the Super Bowl of barbershow. Thousands of people come in all over to go really? to Connecticut. Who the hell goes to Connecticut? No one. They drive no through No one. It. They drive through <laughs> it. But he managed the way. He has a very similar story. Uh, you know, had that, that rough upbringing, did some prison time. This man, he, he's gotten stabbed. Like, he has a crazy story. Maybe we'll get him in here. Uh, but he has the, one of the biggest shows for 12 years, and it just keeps growing, keeps getting bigger. We're up there. We went to a lot of schools. We motivated and inspired so many up and coming future professionals. And if you, when those guys, when you're done off stage and they and they pull you to the side and say, "Hey, I need to open up to you," and they tell you something, I don't. How do I deal with this? A lot of this stuff is is hardcore stuff, man. I, I, one gentleman pulled me to the side last week and told me that his stepson had raped his daughter and he was going through that. And he Jeez. was. It was just so for someone to Heavy. open up and share that with me. First of all, that was a thing. You know, that was like a moment we had there. And then now I have to, while he's talking, the only, what I'm doing is I'm listening, but I'm asking God to give me the right words that he needs to hear. Mm. Because I don't know how to deal with that. My my thing is, hey, go get the biggest gun you have and kill him and torture him. Right? Uh -huh. that's, as, as a father, that's what you would, that, that's the first thing. But that's, that's a, not, yeah, but that's not that's the, what he needs to hear. But that's not what he needs yeah. to hear. And that's not the right thing to he tell him. to make sure that's not what you that's tell him. That's not what you tell him. <laughs> yeah, Correct. Because so, he will probably do it. Right. And the words, you know, you know, and I told him, you got to pray. You got to do some hardcore praying. You got to yeah. connect with God and let God be a GPS in life. Fuck. But, you, you know, these are stories and moments that people share with you. And you, you have to be there for these people. But it's it's it feels good knowing that my voice mattered in his life. Exactly, yeah. My opinion, my my advice. Yeah. Well, dude, it's been awesome meeting you and 
uh, we're going to keep in touch for sure. But guys, make sure you subscribe, uh, follow Boom on Insta, LinkedIn, wherever he mentioned. Um, peace. <laughs> <laughs>